Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? How's it going, Chris? I am doing well. Baseball is back. ARR is back. We got like real faces on Baseball Savants on MLB.com. Yeah. Uh, it's all, it's back like it never left, except, except it very much did leave. That yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely like, I've been just more, just more happy in, in general life because yeah. of, in the past nine days, I mean, part of it is most of it probably is that it's spring break and I have no other responsibilities, but mm-hmm. it has just brought a ray of light into, uh, into the life knowing that our favorite sport is going to be here. It's going to be a full 162 game season. I just recently found out. I yeah, thought shout out to be... MLB and their like six million deadlines that just they just ignored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> yeah. The MLB MLBPA really just uh, submitted submitted on Bright Space a week late and still got full credit. Yeah, um, but yeah, it uh, kind of worked out. I mean, you know, everything. It all it, it definitely sucked while it happened while it was going on, but ended up not being the worst thing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how how long was this CBA agreed upon for? Like four or five uh, years. It's it's five years. Every every CBA is five years. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. That's not like a that's not something to negotiate. It's just a set thing. So yeah, we won't have to worry about it for another five years, where it will. Right probably be worse <laughs> they'll probably mm-hmm. just keep getting worse and worse yep. until we don't have a season um but i mean every every cba year from now on is going to become an event because they used to just not matter at all yeah very true like, i remember when it ended after 2016 no one was talking about it and then like in like mid-november ken rosenthal was like yeah so there could be a lockout in a couple weeks <laughs> yeah and just didn't didn't end up happening but uh but yeah it um yeah it delayed the season a week and yeah they're going to be making up all the games it will not be a 1972 situation where i think every every team played like 154 and so not a 1995 situation where every team played 144 right right Mm -hmm. um yeah it'll be 162 and um like you know there wasn't any crazy there wasn't any particularly like crazy progress made but there was some progress made for the players i guess yeah i mean i i'm i'm honestly surprised that they got as much as they did i thought the clubs were just gonna back them into a corner until they had to accept or else more games would be missed but uh i'm just gonna go over some of the things uh, significant increases to minimum salaries. That's true. I went up to, I think it's 700,000 this year and it goes up 10 million every year during this new CBA. 
Yeah, that was pretty um, big. Yeah, that's good. Institution of a new fifty million dollar bonus pool that will be re- that will reward the achievements of players who have not yet received salary arbitration eligibility. That's very good. Um, significant increases to the payroll thresholds applicable under the collective balance tax or competitive balance tax. Um, we mentioned that the 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 collective bargaining tax is now uh, two thirty million dollars in twenty twenty two, two thirty three, two thirty seven, two forty one, and then two forty four, which is pretty good. And then also, if just for uh, anyone who goes over, it's twenty percent the first year, thirty percent the second year, and fifty percent every other year after that. So that's how that's gonna work. Um, <laughs> this one, this one's already not worked out amendments to the rule for draft order designed to deter tanking <laughs> guys they, they ended tanking no teams are doing it anymore no one is selling off their players and in years where they have potential yeah yeah, yeah definitely it's over now yeah definitely no premature fire sales being yeah, done i believe i believe what that actually means is that they're implementing a draft lottery so that you're not guaranteed to get the first pick if you have the worst record. Right. But like right. even then in baseball, that like the first pick probably matters the least out of all sports. Yeah. So I don't think like I don't think that's enough. I mean, we've already seen it, but I don't think that's enough to like take teams away from tanking because Right. Like, especially the first you know, pick is such a, like the MLB draft is such a crapshoot. Yeah, especially when like teams will go out of their way like not to bet not to get the best guy to avoid yep. like the the uh mm-hmm. the like the i guess what's the term like the draft bonus or yeah yeah a bonus pool um yeah like the in just in last year's draft the number one ranked player went fourth because a big market team happened to be in the number four slot yeah and the like, and he like, probably could have fell further the highest paid guy went 10th and didn't yep. sign <laughs> yep um and yeah it, that was another big market team the mets um so yeah, like that. Um, I I don't. There's yeah, like don't there's definitely lottery. there's more work to be done if you really want to take out tanking because guess what? It's not like that was never going to work. Like it yeah. like obviously it took us only two weeks to figure that out. But like yeah, realistically that was never going to happen. Draft pick incentives for teams who promote uh, top prospects to avoid service time manipul- manipulation. Uh, on paper that sounds good. I guess we'll have to wait and see if teams actually use that. Right, um, right. Because who knows what kind of draft picks they are. If they're just like compensation first round picks, I think teams will just take the extra year of service time for their top prospects. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Uh, pension benefits will continue as best allowed by the law. That's cool. Best in class med- medical benefits for players and their families. Uh, was that not in before? Um. Well... Like maybe Whatever like, it was, it was not the best. Which is pretty weird. <laughs> weird um, that it took this long. Yeah, maybe it was uh, a slight ex- improvement, but, you know, yeah. the MLBPA is trying to sell that they, you know, did a great job. Yeah. Uh, expanded postseason, 12 teams. Do you know how this postseason format works, Chris? I, I don't. I try to Google it you, while you're If you win the division, but you're the third seed, you're, you just get screwed. Um. Uh, so it's six teams. It's... The three division winners and then just the three next best teams. Like it's not just it's not like twenty twenty where it's like the first, the best two teams in each division. Uh right. get, the, get the top six. It's literally just like there could be four AL East teams in the playoffs. Yeah. 
if yeah. uh, you know if one team wins the division, the other three have the next best records. Um, sure. But if you're the one or the two seed, you get a bye, and then the three seed plays the six seed in a three game wild card series, and the four game four seed plays the five seed. It's just a three. It's a three game series. It's a three game series. Yeah. Um... That's like. If you, I feel, I mean, if you're the, if you win the division, you're the three seed. You just have to play an extra series, and if you're one or two, you just advance to the American League Division Series. Yeah. So last year, last year there would have been four AL East teams. Yeah, there would have been. There absolutely would have been. So it would have been, uh, so yeah, it would have been White Sox versus Blue Jays. Um, and then Red Sox Yankees. And yeah, Red Sox. Like the wild, like the the four or five is essentially just the wild card game as was before. Then, but but it's a three game series instead of a two or instead of a one. And then, and then yeah, in the National League it would have Braves, been Reds? Yeah, Braves No. Was it the Reds? Braves, Reds, Dodgers, Cardinals. Okay. Um Yeah. It wasn't the Padres. I think the Reds No, yeah. the Padres finished under five hundred. I think it was the Reds. Yeah. Um <laughs> that wild card situation was the most hilarious thing. Yeah, we get a Braves Reds rematch. Yeah. <laughs> Dodgers versus Cardinals was so funny. Um because the Cardinals were never winning that game. Yeah. Um anyway. A limit of the number this is a good one. A limit of the number of times a player can be option can be assigned to the minors in a single season. That's really good because like you have guys, especially in the Rays that are just like that have like twelve stints. I don't know what the limit is. Um I have to find it somewhere. Increased spending pools in the Rule Four Draft. That's good. Uh, more salary, more like bonus pool stuff. Um, yeah. Voluntary scouting combine for amateur prospects. Feels weird that they just decided to do this now. Um, a new policy governing commercial agree- arrangements for sports betting companies. Uh, shout out to Pete Rose for real. <laughs> How funny is that? Like, I get that it's a different time, and he did break a rule, but it's like we're not going out. We're not going to allow Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame or in baseball because of his his gambling issues. But hey, this game is sponsored by DraftKings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, enhanced revenue streams through jersey and helmet sponsorship agreements. Uh, this one's interesting. Service credit for players who finish first and second in Rookie of the Year voting without accruing a full year of Major League service. That one was uh, a so, real wild card for me. Yeah, like, what if, like, okay, hear me out. What if, this is a wild scenario, but imagine there's a beat writer for MLB.com that, you know, they, they their bosses are the team. And they're like, hey, yeah. we know that this rookie had a good year, but we want him for longer. So if you want to throw him seventh on your rookie of the year ballot. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. It would be funny that there's, like, a unanimous rookie of the year, and then there's just one guy who doesn't have him on the ballot. Yeah, it's just, like, like the guy who's, like, the seventh best. It's, like, no one else wanted to vote for their guy, so they, that guy just gets second. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Let me let me look at the voting last year. Like, imagine if, like, Vladimir Gutierrez got second last year because every single NL writer was, like, uh, we don't want this. <laughs> like, the Marlins were, like, we want Trevor Rogers for longer. Let's throw someone else in there. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I'm thinking about like it, 
it wouldn't apply for I don't think a Rosarena or Jonathan no. India, but like the year the year you know Ron Jonathan India yeah, probably would. I think Jonathan India it would. Randy Rosarena definitely wouldn't. He oh no. He does okay. Jonathan India does have a full year of service time, so yeah, it wouldn't matter for him. Yeah, because I knew he played like 150 something games. Trevor yeah, Rogers, like... I'm pretty sure it would wouldn't matter for either. Uh, Luis Garcia. Yeah, like okay. yeah, this would not have actually mattered for anyone last year. Like if Wander Franco got, I mean, not that it matters for him because he has a contract now, but like if he got first or second, like it would have counted for him because yeah, he did not. Or a full year of service time same with Adolis Garcia yeah like and you know going back to 2019 like Jordan he only played 80 something games he would have gotten a year a full year of service time yep um yep. so that would have been cool for him uh I like this, that this I like probably that not... I like yeah. that little wrinkle by the players association there um oh yeah and then last minute uh the MLB like in their last offer they're like okay all this this is everything you want also you got to drop these two lawsuits against us <laughs> what were the lawsuits it was one of them was from i think it was 2020 where it was like something to do with the pandemic and their policies and uh-huh. the other one was against the uh the rays athletics marlins and pirates for not spending money <laughs> yeah yep so that was that yeah uh that was like I didn't think the I didn't think the last one was going to pass because of that, and I honestly wouldn't have blamed the players because that is a lot of money that they're dealing with there. Right, right. That's two entire lawsuits against a multi-billion-dollar corporation. Like that is a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the I, th- I think the thing I found the the thing that I think the fan is going to see the most change with is like I guess the playoff format. Yeah. Um. I didn't the big know, changes like, to the fan come next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is the new playoff format being installed this year, 2023. This year. This year. So yeah. Um, I think that's gonna be interesting. I don't think I think with it being a three-game series, I don't think the uh I don't think it's gonna be a major like burden for the teams with the buy having that much no. time no um are the do you know if the three games like, are gonna be all at the uh like all at one ballpark i that's my guess i don't know for sure but i would assume that's what it means because it'd be weird if it was like like i don't think it maybe it's maybe it's like first game at the visiting team and then the second two at the home team yeah maybe that makes like, the most sense but it like it definitely can't be one 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 you couldn't do a one 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 i think i think it's really just three at one place and the one two would kind of be unfair yeah um but yeah that's how they did it in 2020 not that home field advantage really mattered that much but yeah. um that's what they did but that was also a, yeah yeah that's probably what they're gonna do yeah or they have all three at the home ballpark yeah, i think it would be kind of i think it would be pretty fair i think that's the best way to do it like, it sucks that, you know, the visiting teams won't get, uh, like, a chance to play in their ballpark. But you got to win. Like, that's the whole point. So Yeah. And so the season should end on – well, this year it's probably going to end on, what, like a Wednesday or something? Mm-hmm. So then yeah. you could do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then and then uh, the eight the, – the final eight starts – 
in on what a Tuesday because you want to give those teams a day off. So I guess you give like I guess you give the teams with the bye like six days off, which is like a yeah. s- bit of an extended All Star break. It's not the worst thing, but I feel like teams most teams in the format it used to be some of the teams would go till like sunday to friday or monday through or sunday through friday yeah Sunday through friday so it's not a crazy difference as long as they're not going for like more than a week i think that should be okay um yeah i think it'd be like a week exactly yeah yeah so um we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes when uh when it gets there um but yeah, so the end of baseball, big deal. And also a big deal, uh, the world of free agency was able to come back. And man, it has stormed back with a vengeance. It took a while. Like every like I mean, when the lockout ended, it was like, it starts tonight and everything's just going to start going. I was like, oh my God, there was definitely so much tampering. There was not. Yeah. <laughs> I really no- don't think, I, I think no one actually broke the rules. Crazy. Yeah, nothing whatsoever. Um, um still waiting on a couple signings carlos correa um nick castellanos right yeah those are the those are the two big ones for sure i feel like the michael pitching conforto is, yeah pitching market is pretty taken care of um but the biggest the biggest deal um you could argue that has transpired was the Matt Olson trade to yeah uh Atlanta um for two reasons one because you know Matt Olson going to uh, a team like the Braves is a big deal and secondly that was you know the first sign that Freddie Freeman was not going to be back with the Braves um which was something a lot of people uh you know not the not fun for a lot of people and I totally understand that it Freddie Freeman definitely seemed like he was a brave for life kind of a kind of guy, but it didn't work out for, for both sides. And Matt Olson ended up getting traded and then, uh, you know, immediately extended for eight years, 168 million. Um, And uh, the A's did get quite a haul. um, Yeah. For that, for that, uh, for that deal. And, Christian, yeah, there was Christian Pache and some other guys. I uh, uh, yeah. don't have it all pulled up. The other one, there was there was two like top one hundred prospects. It was uh, Christian Pache and then Shea Lang Langliers. I think that's how to pronounce it. He's a catcher. Um, he's like mid top one hundred, so he's like, like 50, 60, something like that. Um, he's very good. Yeah. I don't know. And also, who was the guy? Ryan Kusick, I think his name was. Yeah. He's like I'm super young and not, he's not old enough to be top 100 yet, probably. Um, but his numbers are ridiculous. Uh, yeah. He played in the minors last year for the Augusta Braves, which is, um, or no, what was it? Yeah. Okay. For Augusta. And it was 16 and a third innings pitch, so not that much, but 34 strikeouts and four walks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice that is beautiful. There. Exactly, and yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, and then uh, the the two main ones besides him, yeah, Christian 
Christian Pat Pache Pache. Pache. It's Pache. Um, he's been on, he's been in like the MLB top one hundred like forever. And then she Langoliers, uh, also yeah, um, um, mid top one hundreds or or uh, or whatever. Yeah, same with yeah. Or no, you're am I looking at that correctly? Yeah, Langoliers was the Braves' number two prospect per yeah, both Pipeline and Baseball America. Yes. Uh, um, number sixty nine, number fifty four nationally. I mean, like trading. Pache, like the Braves still have, uh, you know, they still have a solid outfield. They have, they got Eddie Rosario back. They, they got Adam Duvall back, unless he was just not a free agent. Um, no, it looks like he wasn't. Uh, and then they got uh, Marcelo Zuna coming back. Yeah. And they also have, they have Alex Dickerson listed as their DH. And then, of course, is uh, Acuna expected to be back for opening day? He's not in the lineup as of right now, but I believe he is. But I think they're going to have him DH, and they're going to have him, like... I think Brian Snitker said the other day, I think the idea was, like, by, like, the end of April to put him in, like, one of the corner outfield spots and then center field by, like, May or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense, because... So, he probably will be. <clears throat> um, yeah, that completes the lineup a lot more, for sure. Because he uh, tore his ACL in July. early July. So opening day would make that about nine months, which is mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, yeah, that <clears throat> that makes sense for re- recovery time, but not like a full recovery time. Um, but yeah, so Matt Olson, I mean, it's funny because like Matt Olson probably brings to that lineup a lot what Freddie Freeman brings to the lineup, yeah. especially like OPS wise. I know they it's a probably, perfect replacement. Yeah, for sure. Like. Um, I think the only difference would be that like Freddie Freeman is probably more of a doubles guy. Uh, Matt Olson is more of a home runs guy, um, mm-hmm. but they usually are around the same OPS. Um, yeah, yeah. Freeman was a little older. I think he just uh, finished his age thirty one season. Yes, and Olson just finished his. Oh, he's going into his age 28 season. Yeah, he's going into his age 28 season. Um, and, uh, you know, it's – I think the Braves made – Braves made the best out of that out of that first base situation. Um, yeah. You know, it's it was the best first baseman they could have got besides Freddie Freeman. Um, and you could argue he's – you know, I, there's probably a solid, solid argument that Olsen was a better option than Freddie Freeman given age and – you know, the fact and that given the fact that they're going to have him for eight years now. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Um, they're going to have him for, for less average annual value than they would have had him for Freddie Freeman. The younger guy. Yeah. Like yeah. less average. How do the Braves keep doing this? Like seriously, <laughs> how, like they're paying, I think it was $21 million a year at average annual value for Matt Olson. Like he is worth so much more. How did they keep doing this? Yeah, I don't know. Like, like they just keep getting ridiculously cheap contracts for their players. They also still have Charlie Morton, I just realized. Um that's cool. Um but like yeah, they extend Ozzy Albies Ozzy Albies seven years thirty five million. Like what is that? Uh Ronald Acuna Jr. eight years hundred million. Also, what is that? Yeah. Um 
and yeah, Matt Olson for reference, or I have to do the uh, fan graphs uh, adjustment here. Cause uh, I know baseball reference war, he has 5.1 war per 650 plate appearances um, mm-hmm. with Matt Olson. I have to do the, uh, I have to do some quick math with uh, fan graphs. Cause I know the wins above replacements are mm-hmm. a little different. That divided by 650, 2.25, 9.7 divided by 2.25, uh, about 4.3 war per 650 plate appearances. But, you know, a guy who I think has like a upper 800s OPS in a pitcher ballpark um, since the start of 2019 and is probably getting better over time. One thing I did notice on his Savant page was his whiff rate and strikeout rate went down tremendously this past year. Um, you know, he turned into one of the better like guys in terms of, you know, getting contact, which is a uh, pretty fascinating for a power hitting first baseman. Um, yeah. I'm going to look at that once again, Matt Olson, if uh, it'll allow me um, in 2021, his uh man savant can just take the <laughs> slowest time sometimes uh just a yeah, quick update his... apparently the phillies are making a pretty big push for nick castellanos right now oh wow <laughs> they're gonna have two dhs yeah um dang okay uh matt olson was in the 76th percentile for strikeout rate last year and in the 92nd percentile for walk rate and his whiff rate overall uh, from, from 2020 to 2021, his whiff rate went from 34.8% to 23% overall. And his 23% mark was his uh, lowest career whiff rate by a lot. So, um, you know, he's, he's uh, made his, He's made his improvements for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, he's only getting better. Freddie Freeman, I feel like he's going to be kind of the same offensive producer for a little bit. And then, you know, as age comes along, he'll probably drop off. Matt Olson, like with, with Freddie Freeman, we've probably seen like maybe his best season. Matt Olson, I'm not sure we've seen. I don't think we've seen his best season yet. That's yeah, absolutely. Especially in a new place. Like, I feel like that's going to be a more favorable ballpark for him as a left-handed power hitter. Uh, yeah. You know, like there's a big wall out there. He can hit a lot of doubles. He can hit a lot of home runs. Like, I feel like that'll be more favorable than Oakland. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not, not that weird right center field wall in uh, at the Oakland Coliseum. Um, mm-hmm. But that is not to take away from Freddie Freeman because Freddie Freeman is about to be one of about to be a part of one of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. Ever. Like certainly best lineup in baseball currently. And man, does it help to add a, a DH to that mix now? Um, but man, it's uh, I mean, if you just go around, the diamond yeah you got will smith behind the plate freddie freeman at first base max muncie at second base 
uh, Trey Turner at short, Justin Turner at third, uh, and then in the outfield, you have Mookie Betts, you have Cody Bellinger, AJ Pollock, Chris Taylor, and then one of those guys is going to be a DH for you. Um, they actually, have, they have Muncie DHing and Taylor playing second. Okay, yeah, or yeah, that actually that makes, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot yeah, more. That sense. is that is a joke. <laughs> like ju- the, Justin Turner is the weakest link in the infield. Yeah, like Arguably. what the heck. I guess if Chris Taylor is playing second, then maybe he is. Like, True. they have Turner True. hitting fourth. Yeah, like, A.J. Pollock. They have Cody Bellinger hitting eighth in this lineup right now on fan graphs. Yeah, A.J. Pollock had, like, an upper 800s OPS last year. Cody Bellinger, like, I know that he had a 45 weight OPS plus last year. But but yeah, like, like, three years removed from an MVP. Yeah. Mookie Betts, like, another guy who had a, I guess, for him, a down year, but, like, 2020 MVP runner-up, 2018 MVP. Uh, Trey Turner, you know, you could argue. Best um, shortstop, like arguably the best shortstop in baseball. Arguably not the second best, best. shortstop in baseball. Um, Max Muncie had an 895 OPS last year. I'm looking at the lineup now. Yeah. Will Smith, you could argue best catcher. Best offensive catcher in baseball. Best offensive catcher in baseball. And I think that's overall, an easy case to make. Overall catcher, like top two or three. Um, yeah and uh and yeah and then freddie freeman probably top three first baseman in baseball i'm trying to think of yeah all the best guys like yeah first baseman is kind of weird because some of the some guys have just like lately emerged like vladimir guerrero jr in that in that position Yeah. yeah freddie freeman has consistently been a top first baseman in baseball and i would say would will continue to be that way um yeah, it's uh it's quite the lineup. Um it's you know, I before uh like during the lockout, I was thinking, you know, the Dodgers had a little too much inactivity, like something we weren't used to. Mm. And uh they went out and uh you know, pulled a move where <clears throat> I mean, makes up completely for uh you know, not being able to get Corey Seager, not that that was a mistake or anything because, you know, they already had Trey Turner, but it fills an offensive gap there. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're in a good spot. And, you know, they also re-signed uh, Clayton Kershaw finally. Yeah. So they were I, able like to that's, fill that. The starter. idea of him being anywhere else is just wrong. Even if it's, you know, if it's Texas where he grew up, like it just isn't right. Yeah. Especially like, He's not like Freddie Freeman where he was going to go out and get a $160 million deal somewhere. You know, it, it would make sense financially. Uh, you could probably argue he didn't get enough. Uh, like, even if he's past his prime, he's still a very good pitcher. Uh, what did Kershaw get? I only saw one-year deal for him. One-year 17 mil. Like, basically, le- like a little less than the qualifying offer. Right, yeah. Um, it's, it's mostly a matter of health with him. Like, you know you're going to get quality innings out of him. Um, it's just a matter of like if he's gonna make 25 starts. Um, but yeah, uh so yeah, Dodgers, Dodgers made it's it's an annual thing, like they make their huge move of the offseason. Uh, you know, you know eventually they're gonna do it. You know, they got you know, last year they got the uh 2020 NL Cy Young winner, the the time before that they got Mookie Betts. Um and 
you know, even in the middle of the season, like they get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner last year. And Trey Turner is looking like the headliner of that trade now, given, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if they're going to try to extend him in spring training. Um, you know, it, I think, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if they, they, it's so funny that this is a team that lost Corey Seager and we're still talking about how they're like one of the best teams ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They lost a guy who, yeah. They lost a guy with a career 130 OPS plus. Yeah. Shortstop nonetheless. Yeah. He, you know, OPS in the 900s, NLCS and World Series MVP yep. uh, two years ago. And yeah, they're, they're completely fine and <laughs> potentially better than ever. Uh, yeah. So yeah, works out, works out pretty well for them. Um, NL West favorites still. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though they didn't win it last year with 106 wins. Um, but yeah, so that, that was, uh, that's, that's quite something there. Um, and I guess, I don't know, a, a, a briefer deal to go over, you know, something I, something I particularly like to see from the NL West division champions from last year. Um, because I actually did point out, like, we actually had a conversation about it on the podcast of like uh, the Giants not keeping Gosman or getting anybody else uh, in the starting pitcher market. Well, they did get a starting pitcher with uh, Carlos Rodon. They did uh, only only two years, but that's mostly probably because of the injuries, of injuries and potential like. You know, maybe they thought he might have been a fluke last year because this is this is that was his only like, you know, Cy Young quality year. But I mean, not even just Cy Young quality; like that was really just his only like, yeah, strong year in general. Right, like, right. I don't think anyone saw it. Like, if he was half that good in 2021, given the expectations coming into that season, people would have been like, "Yeah, like Carlos Rodon did well this year." Like his best ERA plus going into last season was 104. And that was in that was his rookie year in 139 innings pitched. Yeah. 2015. Yeah, he uh yeah, he made his mark uh two three seven ERA, like over uh over twelve strikeouts per nine. Um and yeah, he's going into that giants rotation. He's probably gonna be um number two if they put Webb at number one. Oh, they're putting Webb at number one. Yeah. Yeah. They have Desclafani, Wood, Cobb. They have a strong rotation. Yeah, I really like the move. Um, you know, I don't think Rodon's necessarily going to do as well as, as he did last year, especially like uh, with National League having DHs last year. You know, Rodon was able to thrive with a weak division a bit, but mm-hmm. I imagine, you know, it wasn't a crazy difference in how he pitched versus other teams. But, but yeah, like uh, – I really like the move. I think, I think Rodon has made a transformation where it's going to be, you know, I don't think last year was necessarily a fluke, like striking out 12 guys per nine is not, that's not fluky by any stretch. Um, I think he's gonna, yeah, I think he's going to succeed in that giant's rotation and, you know, give them a shot, you know, give them, you know, help give them a shot to potentially repeat as a, as NL West division champions. Um, yeah. I think there's still a chance for that, even with the Dodgers being as talented as they are. 
Um, I mean, like, Rodon had a 183 ERA plus last year, a 237 ERA. If you can consider a down year con- compared to that, like a 130 ERA plus, like, that's still a very good season, especially in likely a larger sample because of the injuries last year, especially if he keeps up those strikeout numbers. I'd argue he's going to a more favorable pitcher ballpark. Uh, oh, yeah. It, yeah, for sure. Like, and, yeah. Um, and I feel like the whatever analytics department the Giants have, like that's going to benefit him as well, because mm-hmm. um, they they were able to so change the course. They were able to change the course of some guys' careers, uh, most mm-hmm. notably like, you know, Kevin Gosman starting in 2020, and uh, and then you know, Anthony Desclafani, uh, you know, just Alex a crazy, Wood. Yeah. crazy turnaround. Yeah, Alex Wood. Um, yeah, even 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 you could argue Logan Webb. Yeah, Logan like, Webb. I know that he was. He was never really was top, like. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he was top one hundred, but he was like a good like he was a top prospect in the system at least. Yeah, but I remember he was my. I didn't I didn't say it on the podcast, but I wrote that he was my player to watch in the Giants last year. Yeah, but like he had, uh, so, he, so he did have some sort of expectation. He did have some sort of expectations, but. Uh, no one was predicting, you know, completely undressing the Dodgers lineup twice in the playoffs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's not that's not yeah that wasn't in the cards for what a wild everybody. series that was for him. Yeah, unreal. <laughs> Fourteen and two thirds innings pitched, one earned run, seventeen strikeouts, one walk. <laughs> that's so yeah. that's so wild against. Against the lineup we just mentioned, I mean, minus, minus Freeman, Freeman, but plus, but plus Seager. Corey Seager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, like, also, I guess, minus Muncy, he got injured. Also, plus, like, a pitcher spot. But True. Still. Um, but still, un- yeah, unreal lineup, matter. but unreal pitching. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah, biggest deals were Matt Olson and uh, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman um so we are we ready to get into this now yeah we will a little more we'll talk about or yeah I, I don't know like there was some there were some like i guess mid-level signings that were, were interesting that maybe maybe we won't get into today but i i think like uh maybe a little bit of acknowledgement like uh the kyle kyle schwarber gets what four years 79 million yeah uh with the phillies um I like whatever whatever team Schwarber was going to go to. I was going to like that deal. <laughs> like Pretty I don't much. know, especially with the universal DH and now that's going to favor him a lot. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just uh, you know if, if now the they're audience, going for Nick Castellanos. If the audience is unaware, we're both Red Sox fans. It felt so much more comfortable having Schwarber in the in the lineup for some. He literally changed the entire like dynamic of the offense. Yeah, and like it, the Red Sox had one of the worst walk rates in the league before Schwarber, and the second he debuted, like from that point to the end of the season, they were like top five. Right, right. Like I don't know what he did, but like I mean, he had a well. First of all, like everyone remembers his twenty twenty one season as like that home run streak he went on with the Nationals. I think he had like twelve home runs in ten games, something crazy like that. Yeah, he, he had a higher OPS in Boston. Yeah, 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 and he had. Yeah, there were like there was like a stretch of you know like twenty games where he had like a five hundred OBP or something like that. Yeah, he was he had a one forty five OPS 
with the Nationals and a 154 with the Red Sox. That's on yeah. the top of my head. OPS, yeah, OPS plus. Um, yeah, like uh, he's going to make that lineup better. He's a guy who's, you know, going to walk. He's going to hit the ball hard. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, and yeah, he's a guy in his late 20s right now, right? Yeah. So he's, I feel like he's just going to make a very good impact. Um, and I don't blame the Red Sox for not um, making more effort towards him because, you know, it's hard to have Kyle Schwarber and J.D. Martinez on the same roster given, you know, they're both defensive liabilities. They're both both best fit in the in the DH role. And J.D., I know his contract ends next year, but uh, J.D. is probably going to be around with the Red Sox uh, after that. And then, you know, I don't think Kyle Schwarber was going to be a thing at first base, first of all, because that's not his natural position. And second of all, you got Tristan Cassis uh, coming up. He might be coming up right. eventually this year. Um, He's coming up this year. It's going to be interesting. That I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but like, yeah, Bobby Dahlbeck at first, Tristan Cassis coming up. Yeah, I, I do forget how good Dahlbeck was in the final two months of the year yes. also. Um, he could, you know, that could be a platoon situation potentially. But yeah, um, yeah, like, you know, it. I hate to see him leave, but I understand. I understand why he is uh, on another team. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just think of that grand slam. And uh, I think of that grand slam. I think of what he did to the offense. And yeah, I'm gonna miss that a lot. I think sure. of I, I, like one of his hotter stretches was when the Red Sox were wearing the yellow jerseys. That whole yeah. Year. He hit so many home runs. I feel like he was the face of that. <laughs> um, yeah. I can actually, I should actually look that up. It was like a seven-game winning streak or something. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mention him because I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss him for sure. It's, it's, it's like, uh, yeah. It's like, I don't know to compare it to compare it to. Um, the same way, like the Dodgers fans are going to miss uh, Max Scherzer. Yep, I think you, you understand why why he left. Not that Schwarber is on that level, but every, you know, you yeah, know, every, everyone knows what I mean here. Schwarber, I'm looking for September. That was weird. That was, that was a weird streak because I I wasn't inspired to watch the Red Sox because I couldn't get them on my television. Um of lack of cable was, was it september or was it seven it was uh yeah well i remember it was when they played the mets so whatever winning streak that was um he played five games during the stretch and had a 1646 ops <laughs> yeah that's not bad in 19 plate appearances so yeah he was doing well nine rbi in five games yeah that works out um <laughs> and yeah so the phillies are getting a quality, a quality uh, addition to their lineup, um, which was already a pretty good lineup, a good compliment to Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper. the yeah. defending MVP. Um, who else? Uh, JT Real Muto. Yeah, JT Real Muto. But yeah, and then uh, what other? Oh yeah, I guess we should address just because of the amount of money, amount of years, and the significance of the player, Chris Bryant. Yeah. Um here's the thing about Chris Bryant. I I'm just going to call this out. 
there is a double standard when small market teams spend a large amount of money on one player when they're not projected to be good. And you're seeing it right now with Chris Bryant. Like, I don't think anyone's arguing now that the Rockies have Chris Bryant that they're a playoff team. I certainly am not arguing that. But, like, let's not forget, like, last year, the conversation we were having with the Rockies was, like, they don't spend enough money. Like, they just, like, the one guy they've ever spent on, they just traded. They gave away $51 million to trade him. Like, they haven't signed a free, major league free agent in two years. Like, this organization sucks. And now they sign a player, and it's like, why would they sign this guy? This organization sucks. Right, right. I'm, not, I'm just not going to stand for that. Like, I do think seven years to a 30-year-old, first of all, the deal is seven years, $182 million for Chris Bryant. I, I, like, seven years for a 30-year-old, it's risky, no doubt. Like, but... I'd rather have this conversation than the why don't the Rockies ever spend conversation any day. Right, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. That does remind me, Trevor's story is still on the market. Yep. Right? Unless unless I also, unless I missed it. No, him. you did not miss that, I promise you. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Rockies projected estimated payroll without options. Does this include Chris Bryant? Um no, it doesn't yet. Oh no, it does not. Wait. On baseball reference. Who cares? They're not close to two thirty million. I can promise you that. Yeah, like, yeah, they're they're still with the, the projected twenty twenty two payroll with Chris Bryan is one hundred forty one million dollars. There's they still, still so like yeah, space. you know, this is not about ninety million away from, <laughs> you know. Not we... only that, but this deal is so much better with a universal DH. Like people are so many people are criticizing the Rockies for putting, uh. So many people are criticizing the Rockies because they are putting him in left field. Like, please educate yourselves. Chris Bryant has played left field for years. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. Played, he played for Joe Madden. Of course he played left field. <laughs> he yeah. probably played catcher. Right, right. Yeah, maybe got a few innings off the bump. Um, yeah, I'm, I should look at his um metrics or his outs above average at at these positions but yeah he played um over like 50 games in the outfield last year he played some time in the outfield outfield before then as well um yeah he He played i think 600 innings in the outfield last year alone like not just left field just all places i know that like the colorado outfield is very different because it's just it's a huge field and he's gonna have a lot more range especially at an older age he's not that quick like yeah it's gonna be tough but like logistically putting him at third doesn't make any sense yeah given yeah for reference like ryan mcmahon had i think 12 outs above average just at Mm -hmm. third base and he did it in like 70 games which you know or I should double check. I should double check the. Just while you're checking, Chris Bryant played 309 and two thirds innings in left field last year for both the Cubs and the Giants. 386 innings at first base or third base. So sure, he played more at third, but like left field is not foreign to him. He he has done it a lot. In fact, he has played 941 and two thirds innings in left field through his entire career. Yeah. That's, uh, so I don't want to. I don't want to hear about how the Rockies are just throwing him in there just just because. Yeah, no, this is not a, it's not a Hanley Ramirez in left field situation. 
not at all. Shout out to the 2015 Red Sox. Yeah, it's not um, a Fernando Tatis Jr. in the outfield situation. Like this is a guy who's played there before. He's more than familiar with it. Yeah, uh, Ryan McMahon had 10 outs above average at third base last season. Um, I'm not sure how many games he did it in, but it, he did also have time at second base. So yeah, like 10 outs above average for reference is, you know, pretty elite. Like very elite. That's like at least top 10 percentile. Yeah, for sure. Um, or yeah, Let I can actually, actually yeah, was. outs above average, 97th percentile in yeah, all of 97th. Yeah, you don't take that guy away from third base. I don't care. Yeah, not going to do it. Um, Chris Bryant, on the other hand. Oh, uh, yeah, Chris Bryant. Yeah, well, he, he had negative 10 overall. Yeah, wow. Last year. Um, First percentile ass above average. Let me look at defensive runs saved. Yeah. Uh, because that you can at least that look at, at by, that one you can look at by position. Yeah, not all that was at uh, third base either. Yeah, I think he does play a little uh, bit better at third base than he does in the outfield. Still, you you keep Ryan McMahon there. Um, and yeah, with the with the Rockies deal with with the Rockies doling out 182 million to him, I I only see it being a financial problem if maybe like five years from now they're really competing and you know maybe the you know, they're trying to stay, still stay under the luxury tax and maybe Chris Bryant's contract is in the way of maybe getting another big free agent. But honestly, I don't really see that happening. I don't see it happening either. Chris Bryant, okay, it's it's not that much different. He had negative one defensive run saved in left field and negative two at third base. He's basically the same defender wherever you put him. So you might yeah. as well keep the elite guy there. Yeah, and shout out defensive run saved and Mark, Mark Simon, ARR alum, or yeah, yeah. guest alum uh mark simon for helping developing that stat um for sure and uh and yeah like the only i guess the one issue is rymel tapia does have seven defensive runs saved in left field i don't I, but i don't think chris bryan means he's not playing the outfield at all right like he'll play right he'll play field. center he'll play right yeah yeah the rockies do have a bit of a log jam in the outfield though because they have charlie blackman's contract um so like he's kind of obligated to be out there. I think maybe they just put Charlie Blackman at DH. Um, right. The, the fact that there's a DH is so great now. I, I'm so happy about it. Oh my god. Um, they have Connor Joe, who I think is very underrated. Yeah, it looks like Fangraphs does in fact have him. They have Sam Hilliard uh, in center. Yeah, because yeah. Charlie Blackman is not contributing defensively at all. No, he's yeah. I think, yeah. and I honestly, I think he would be better just focusing on hitting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like he doesn't really have to prove much now. Like, he's gotten his contract. He's 30. He's going into his age 36 season. Actually, 30, right. age 35. Sorry. But, like, let him focus on hitting. Like, they have plenty of defensive outfielders. They have Chris Bryant now. They have Ryan McMahon at third. So, you don't want to take him out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't, don't let anyone fool you. Chris Bryant in left field is probably the best move they could have made with him. Yeah, for sure. It was the, unlike a lot of the Rockies' decisions, a smart a smart move for sure. Yeah. It's I mean like, yeah, I will I will keep saying that seven years for a thirty year old is risky, and this might be looked at as a bad contract in four years, but I'd rather be having that conversation than this team never spends. Yeah, 
and like it's a a much better conversation to be having yeah i mean it it does still you know it does look a little ironic after you know you know giving the cardinals 50 million (laughs) to uh it absolutely does to house Nolan but, like, whatever, but like you know what like whatever that happened there's a new cba dick monfort was literally one of like the the executive board members for mlb's uh like for their team so like he was trying to bring the collective i would imagine he was one of the people most vocal about keeping the collective bargaining tax down and it's like yep. it's like what does it matter to you you're not going halfway there anyway yeah yeah like seriously if you're gonna have a payroll of like 150 million why do you care if team if the collective bargaining tax is 230 million and not 225 million yeah he's well he's probably just like you know um i only spend you know like 130 million so no yeah. one else should be able to spend that much i spend any higher than that yeah yeah he's probably he's probably trying to get the collective bargaining tax to like 150 million it's like mm. drop it down 60 70 million dollars um yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's a thing where like, yeah, they're not, the Rockies aren't going anywhere near that luxury tax. So it's like, they have, they made like, how, does, how bad does it really hurt them if they have Chris Bryan, if that's where they're going to go? Yeah. Like Chris only... Bryan is, he's won a ring. He's won an MVP. He's got nothing else to prove. Like he just, he got his money. He's going to, he's going to hit dingers for the rest of his career in Colorado. Yeah. And the Rockies are not going to come that close to bankruptcy right and down the line if the rockies do end up developing a a good team four or five years from now now you have that veteran leadership uh you know world series experience uh there with chris bryant so um you know you'll like to you will enjoy having that uh around a little bit and it's not gonna like obviously not getting you anywhere near the luxury tax you know i'm also very interested interested to see like how, how what the course effect ha- is on chris bryant like like does he start really struggling on the road and like because i feel like if chris bryant has like very lopsided home road splits where he's just so much better at home like that takes away a lot of legitimacy in using that argument for rocky's players going other places because we've already seen for six and a half years what chris bryant can do in places that are not colorado right yeah yeah like that's gonna be a fun like not like the fact that we have a really good example for the first really the first time ever like an mvp caliber player signing a big free agent contract with colorado like how many other examples of that can you really name in recent history um yeah not no larry walker's the only one that comes to mind yeah larry walker like you know that Ian was Desmond wasn't 20 years Ian ago. Desmond wasn't really a thing. Ian, Ian Desmond doesn't count. Yeah, that doesn't count. Um, it was supposed to count, but that wasn't really. No. <laughs> that wasn't. He was uh, he was bad in Colorado too. Yeah, yeah. Like he was bad uh, at Coors Field. He was bad on the road. That was a weird. Like, that was a weird. It'll ordeal. be fun. It'll be fun to have that that standard now. Right. Right. Um. Exactly. Like. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen. We haven't seen like you know established guy before Colorado, then established guy after Colorado. Exactly. Seeing what happened, I, I think we're getting a good, um, good observation with that. With like a guy going from Colorado to away from Colorado for a good amount of time with uh, Nolan, Nolan Arenado. Arenado, and then Trevor Story. 
and yeah trevor story wherever he may land yeah um like we didn't like we were i feel like we were gonna get it with troy Tulowitzki, but injuries kind of happened and also he just was never the same after colorado unfortunately um so maybe yeah, Coors did sure. have an effect on him uh i think like a perfect example of like Coors making people better is cj crone yeah yeah like that guy had a career year offensively like there was there's like he hit free agency there was no reason for him to sign anywhere else right right like he is going to unless he wants to get his money like why like why would you go anywhere else you had a 130 ops plus last year uh and that's with you know the rockies that's a 905 ops yeah like that's park adjusted also mm-hmm. um yeah uh so those are those are the significant deals um to talk about uh Maybe maybe um, we'll get into the Matt Chapman trade once we do the um, AL East preview. Um, or just that we, be. Yeah. Or the or the um, A's. We'll or, the, or yeah, the AL West preview. I guess the two because we didn't talk. We did talk about one of the guys the A's traded. Um. Yeah, and we'll get into some of what the Twins and Reds did uh, during our Central preview because yeah, we are doing a preview of. You know, like we do every year, we do players to watch um, for every single team, and we focus on a particular division or two divisions, uh, especially this year. We're going to be doing two divisions per episode um, where we are going to be, you know, we have players to watch. Um, We'll also, you know, we briefly talk about like their additions and subtractions of the of the last year. And, you know, we each have a question. for uh the other for the other uh host of the program yes about regarding the team so for this episode we are doing the al central and nl central pointing out a player to watch um and having a question for each team and uh we also we're doing the central uh today because usually we go from Uh, most significant or least significant divisions to most significant. Uh, I can't think of anything less significant than the AL Central. I mean, like, I mean, I guess the Tigers can make a run at the title, but, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure the White Sox. I don't think they can. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about the AL Central is that two through five could be anyone. The AL Central? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the White Sox should be a lock for that division. You could really make a case for any other team finish second, third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, and outside like of the Tigers, like, like it might be, it might be the hardest division to predict. Right. Yeah. Like, like just because of that, e- it's the easiest to predict first, but it's the hardest to do full standings. Yep. Um. Yeah, the, like the Tigers made some improvements, but. Yeah, the Guardians, Royals, and Twins are kind of like in a weird position. Yes. Uh, for for all those with all those teams, um, so yeah, and then uh, I think next week we'll do the West, the West and, then the East. and then we'll do the East, um, because the East East will always find ways to be interesting, no matter what. Um, so yeah, I guess we will start off. With the AL Central uh, at the bottom, 
with the Minnesota Twins, who went 73 and 89 last year and finished last in the American League Central. They lost. Probably the most disappointing team in the entire major leagues. Yep. Yep. Um, we both had them in the playoffs last year um, before the season started. Um, I had them winning the division. Yes. You had, the, had them winning, winning the division. And it made a lot of sense because they were two time reigning uh, division champions and they hadn't really lost anyone significant up to that point. Um, and then, yeah, last year, last year, disappointing at the trade deadline, they traded uh, Jose Barrios, um, who, you know, was their best pitcher. And, uh, and yeah, but also, also, also in the worth- offseason, they did extend also, yeah. uh, Byron Buxton. Which is good. And they got him up for a relatively team-friendly deal if he stays healthy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, also worth noting, Kenta Maeda is going to be out for this entire season. He is still recovering from Tommy John surgery that he got in uh, August or September of last year, September 1st. Um, so that's unfortunate um, yeah. because he was a runner-up for Cy Young in 2020. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he was runner up. Yeah. Yeah. He was um, excellent that year. Um but yeah, do you want to start? Uh actually no, let's just also, let's just go over the whole team first. Um they also lost uh just going just going over additions of subtractions. They lost Josh Donaldson, Mitch Garver, Michael Pineda, Andrelton Simmons, John Gant, Alex Calme, Williams Astadio, and they added Sonny Gray, Gary Sanchez, Gio Urshela, and Dylan Bundy. I guess we should talk a little bit about um, some of the trades that they um, I I would like to talk about their farm system real quick. Uh, they had one of the biggest, I guess, uh, selling team, like, friendly t- trades last year with Jose Barrios. They got Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson from the Blue Jays, who are both yep. excellent, uh, both very young, too. Um, so... <laughs> We probably won't be seeing other than this year. Um, they got a guy named Joe Ryan in the trade for Nelson Cruz, who is on the MLB roster this year. That has a lot of expectations. He's a top 100 prospect. Uh, they have a guy named Jose Miranda, who is uh, – Fangraphs has him on the on the 26-man roster to begin the season. Uh, last year, between AA and AAA, he had 591 plate appearances. He slashed 344, 401, 572 for a 973 OPS. Uh, he is a, uh, a utility infielder. Um, so that's a guy to look out for this year for sure. Um, that's all I got on this team. Um, yeah. And, uh, they're, they made some additions and subtractions in the past week. Um, they traded, what was it? Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner Falafa, which I didn't put as an addition or a subtraction because nice in the span of two days if you want to if you want to go to fan graphs you just use the off-season tracker it can tell you yeah so he so so they traded yeah josh Donaldson and isaiah kiner falefa for gary sanchez and Gio urshela um it, it was kind of interesting because you like they're not it's not necessarily like a buy or sell move but they got yeah. rid of some payroll and maybe they'll extend one of 
Urshela or Sanchez. I also, I never knew how homegrown this team is. Like, Urshela and Sanchez are the only people in the projected opening day lineup that were not homegrown from the twin by the Twins. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's Buxton, Arias, Polanco, Sano, Kepler, Kirilov, Larnick, all of them. And then their entire bench is homegrown. Ryan Jeffers, Jose Miranda, Nick Gordon, Brent Rooker. Right. Um, like This team is, it's very, it's interesting because, like, I think everyone agrees, regardless of how this team is going to perform, they're going to have one of the best lineups. Seven out of those guys, seven out of those nine guys, they develop themselves. Yeah, very interesting. Every day where they sit Gary Sanchez and Gio Rochella, their entire lineup is probably going to be homegrown as well. Right, right. Um, And yeah, like, uh, I think, like, with that Donaldson, um, Kiner Falefa, uh, Urshela and Sanchez traded. They they kind of improved a little bit in some aspects. Like uh, like Gio Urshela, you know, he had a down down year last year, but we know his potential from you know 2019 and 2020, and uh, he's heading into his age 30 season. Uh, Gary Sanchez, he's heading into his age 29 season, and you know he's he got scrutinized you know a good amount, but I think that was. That was, a lot of that, you know, some of it was it's, was a little it exaggerated. Was it was New York. Like, if he had the same exact career on a team like the Twins, he would be, like, a top-five catcher in the league, and the Yankees would have been begging to trade for him. Yeah, um, you know, career OPS plus of 113 so far yeah. in, uh, you know, in a in – a, in, as as a catcher, you know. And, uh, you know, his, his defense can be weird. Like, you know, he does have this great arm. He just can't catch. Yeah. Like as a backstop, not the best, but he'll throw. Yeah. But you do not want to steal on him. Yeah. You're not going to do that. Um, but, and, and even like working with pitchers, he can be weird, but, um, offensively, we know his potential for sure. And, might just be better off out of the spotlight. Um, and yeah, that could be a potential, another potential, just, you know, awesome right-handed power hitter that the twins have. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also, you know, added Sonny Gray, um, who you, you actually had a, a very good set that you mentioned to me about Sonny Gray. Uh, yes. Over time. I am so happy he is leaving Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, he had, let me, let me look at the exact numbers, but his Cincinnati was a very offense heavy ballpark last year, um, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, it's not great for Reds pitchers and Sonny Gray was very much affected by that. Um, he had a 344 ERA away from great American ballpark and a 489 ERA in great American ballpark. Uh, same, like roughly the same strikeout walk numbers. Um, you know, everything like just general production was way, way up. Also significantly more home runs allowed, uh, at home. Yeah. I'm trying to look for, um, his, uh, I'm trying to look for his home run to fly ball ratio. Okay. Uh, at great American and away from great American. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's worth noting that like Sonny Gray, wouldn't don't be surprised if he has his best season 
possibly since the Oakland days. Not not the Oakland A's, the Oakland days. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Like he's still, you know, like ERA plus was very skewed for Reds pitchers because of that. Uh, like he had a in 2019, he had a 162 ERA plus with a with a 270 with a 287 ERA and 175 innings. Like still very good. I don't like. He's, he's... he's gonna be amazing. His home run to fly ball ratio at Great American Ballpark last year was 20.6%. What? And his home run to fly ball ratio away from Great American Ballpark was 11.5%. Oh my Major dip. God. Yeah. And he's so going to like sense. a and he's going to a pitcher friendly ballpark too. Yeah, like like so, not not only is he getting away from Cincinnati, he's going somewhere where like a pitcher would want to be. Yeah, deep left field, deep oh left center. God. Kind of deep right field with a bigger wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, so um, you know, could be a, a thing where yeah, we're seeing a lot of sunny gray success, even yeah. if the twins maybe not so much. Um so, although uh, I, I have no idea where the twins are gonna land. I don't either, but do you want to talk about your player to watch? Yeah, uh, my player to watch, um, you kind of mentioned him a little bit last year. Some of these guys that I'm going to pick for player to watch are just kind of funny. And this guy is one of them, uh, Alex Kirilov. Uh, He had a 722 OPS in 59 games last year, which, you know, that's not going to pop out to anyone. He was extremely, extremely unlucky. Uh, he had a 307 WOBA and a 367 expected WOBA. And his difference in WOBA and expected WOBA was the unluckiest of the 328 batters with 150 plus batted balls in 2021. So he was unluckiest out of 328. Uh, his barrel rate was in the top 15% of those batters, while his strikeout rate was uh, below league average. So you know, a lot of the time, a guy with a high barrel rate also just generally has a high strikeout rate. Um, that's not the case here. Below average strikeout rate and one of the best uh, barrel rates in baseball. So it's a thing where if he pops off this year, I'm not going to be that surprised. But, you know, if you just look at the non-expected statistics, you might be a little surprised that he comes out this year. Also a guy who you know, he was a first round draft pick uh, back in, I think, 2017 or 2016. And uh, yeah, he, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's probably going to, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he popped off this year. Okay. Um, remember in past years when we would t- keep track of how long it took us to have the same player? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I saw it's your. The, it's the first team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not only do we have the same player, but we use the same list. <laughs> um, I actually have two twins players, luckily. Alex, oh. I'm just gonna read straight off my script because it was we might as well have written the same thing. We might have we might as well have shared a document with each other. <clears throat> Alex Kirilov was one of the unluckiest hitters in 2021. He had a slugging percentage of 423 and an expected slugging percentage of 541, a woba of 307 and an expected woba of 365. 
Chris, you're never going to believe this. Among the 328 hitters with 150 balls in play in 2021, Kirillov had the highest difference between slugging and ex-slugging and WOBA and expected WOBA. This is where I went off your script a little bit. 17.7% of Kirillov's batted balls were hard-hit line drives, which ranked 15th on that same list of 328. And his slugging percentage on said batted balls was 862, with the league average being 1090. That's so crazy. He was, he was hitting the ball hard to the wrong places on an alarmingly high rate. Uh, yeah. You that feels be- cr- even crazier than when we had the same question about the Brewers last year. Like, we used the same list of, of hitters <laughs> um, to yeah. make our point. <laughs> Um, anyway, you already kind of said it, but Alex Kirilov, it sucks that we started with the Twins because Alex Kirilov is like, if I had to pick one bat that's going to break out this year, it's him. Right. Yeah. Um, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Anyway, I have another, fortunately, I do have another player on the Twins. Um, nice. and that is Bailey Ober, uh-huh. who is a starting pitcher. Uh, in 92 and a third innings pitch last year, he had a... 9.36 strikeouts per nine and 1.85 walks per nine. That gave him a 5.05 K to walk ratio, which ranked ninth among the 104 pitchers that had at least 90 innings pitched from the day that he debuted through the end of the season. So I believe he debuted on May 16th, and it's from that date on the 104 pitchers that had 90 innings pitched, his K to walk ratio ranked ninth. Uh, hmm. However, the problem with him last year is that he surrendered more home runs than walks. Uh, he throws breaking balls 29% of the time between his slider and his curveball, and he had location issues with those two last year, which caused some issues. Uh, 8.9% of all of the breaking balls he threw ended up in game day zone 5, which if you are not familiar with baseball savant, that means it was the worst place to throw a baseball. It was right down the middle of the plate. Uh, and as you can imagine, that's why he allowed a lot of home runs. That's the 14th highest rate of uh, among the 182 pitchers to throw 400 breaking balls. The 8.9% of breaking balls ending in the ending up in that place. Uh, so Bailey Ober, you know, a lot of potential. Strikes out a lot of guys, doesn't walk a lot of people. He has, but he has home run problems, and it's easy to see why with those location issues. If he can fix those, he's got it all checked out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just if he just stops hanging the curveball, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential that's, there. That's the issue. Um, so I will let you ask your question first. Um, it's uh, related to pitching. Okay. Uh, the Twins ranked 14th in the AL and Team ERA in 2021. Uh, will they be better, worse, or the same this year? Better than better or worse than 14th? In the AL, yeah. In the AL, um. I think they'll be better. Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming the one team that they were above was the Orioles. Um, I see no reason to believe why the Orioles would pass them in ERA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, we just mentioned a lot of pitchers that we can break, that can break out, Sonny Gray being one of them. I just talked about Bailey Ober. I think that there are plenty of guys that have a lot of potential to be better. Dylan Bundy's in addition. Joe Ryan, I think, has a lot of potential. Uh, and their bullpen yeah. is solid. Um, I think... I think they will be better than 14th for sure. Yes, I think that's an easy yes. My question uh, is a lot more open interpretation. Uh, this is such a compelling team that is very weird with the way that they went about their offseason. They kind of bought and they kind of sold. 
So what is the conversation that we will be having with the Minnesota Twins come trade deadline time? Come trade deadline time. Um, well, they can't sell off Buxton. Um, that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, cause, yeah, I still think I mean, they could sell off Buxton. I mean, it would be a really bad look, but I think there would be teams that are interested. True, true. Um, but also, they have, a, they have an expected $94 million payroll. That is bad. Yeah, okay. Because um, I'm thinking, I, it's, it's weird because, yeah, I'm trying to figure out where they'll be standings-wise. Um, I imagine come trade, t- trade deadline time, they're going to be around 500. They're going to be far from wherever the White Sox are. Um, I don't think they're going to be too much in the wild card race. Um, I how don't much think do you gonna... think? Well, how much do you think that, like, with the expanded wild card race, like, do you think that is going to encourage more teams like the Twins to buy? I do, but I think there's still going to be conversation about them um, potentially trading off uh, Gary Sanchez or Gio Urshela. Okay. Um, but uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to be necessarily buying at least buying heavy at the trade deadline i don't think they're going to sacrifice um top prospects at the trade deadline and yeah i think if there is a conversation it might be surrounding gary sanchez and Gio urshela interesting okay what about a guy like jorge polanco oh yeah Uh, um when does miguel sano even one of those pitchers sunny gray uh probably not bailey ober um Dylan Bundy. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you should guys... look at their uh, salaries and contracts to see like when all that ends. Yeah. Um, because I'm wondering if, like, what their. Let me just look up Minnesota Twins. Oh, the Padres just got Luke Voigt. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see the return. Hear me out, Eric Hosper to New York. <laughs> oh my god! I'm glad I'm glad that Luke Voigt gets to actually be a part of an offense because he seemed like he was getting boxed out uh, in New York, which was very weird. Um, it was weird. Yeah, never really understood that. Um, let's see, the Yankees are getting Justin Lang Lange. Let me, let me look at this guy. Uh, yeah, Luke Voigt. I think since. 2018 had like an 880 something OPS. Yeah. He okay, led. A... Yeah, he led the wow. MLB in home runs in the shortened 2020 season. <laughs> and he's just they just want to get him um, out. Um. <laughs> so the the Padre, the Yankees are getting a 19 year old pitcher from the Padres who, uh, he pitched 22 innings last year in the, what does ACL stand for? Arizona Complex League. Okay. Um. I mean, he, he struck out a lot of guys, 11.9 strikeouts per nine, a lot of walk issues, however, uh, but he's 19. I'm sure that can be fixed. Uh, is that is that really the only guy? Is it a one for one? There, that can't be it. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, seems like a good DH option for the Padres. And yeah, Luke Boyd. Absolutely. Luke Voigt, uh, since the start of 2018, has an 881 OPS in 
1146 plate appearances um yeah it, it's just yeah it's been a weird even last year it was above average offensively like in what was considered a down year like i don't know what the deal was like they would have been fine with just him and without rizzo kind of weird um it's gonna be interesting to see like i mean we've had this conversation before but what do they do with hosmer now like they got another infielder or another first baseman um let's see um <laughs> i mean obviously fangraphs has not updated their uh, depth chart yet but they have jerickson profar as their dh i would imagine that changes um this still feels like a very incomplete lineup oh that's because fernando tatis jr's hurt that's why yeah that, that'll do it yeah yeah um so yeah that's a that's that's a good addition uh back to the question um of potential free agents with uh the twins yeah they have um coming off the books next year they have taylor rogers gary sanchez tyler duffy uh apparently urshela is a free agent after 2023 um and then yeah i'm looking at where, where's jorge polanco in this equation jorge polanco where are you i can't find him see up near the top is he oh jorge polanco um he is i think a free agent after 2023 it says one Oh yeah, there's a besting out. Yeah, he has he's under contract through 2023 with a okay. with an option after 2024. So yeah, I don't. So I think it will mostly yeah. To go back to the question, I think it'll be mostly surround Gary Sanchez because I, I don't think the Twins are necessarily going to be giving up on 2023. Yeah, when it comes trade deadline time, because they'll be like kind of hovering around 500. How okay, I see it. Fair. That is fair. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't see them dishing off like uh, Jorge Polanco at, at that point. Um, all right. So now we advance to the uh, to the, to the Kansas Kansas City City Royals. Royals. Yeah. There's not much to say about the team. <laughs> There's not much to say about the team as it stands right now. Um, they have or some just where they stand in the future. They have some some quality prospects. Uh, the last year they went seventy four and eighty eight, and finished fourth in the AL Central after uh, actually finishing or actually starting the year sixteen and nine. Um, they they really deked everyone, uh, and in the off season they added Zach Greinke and Amir Garrett. Uh, they didn't really lose didn't really lose anyone significant. Um, they lost Mike Miner, I guess, in that trade. Right. Um, who's your player to watch from the Royals? Okay, I went a bit off the grid for this one. Uh, my player to watch is Carlos Hernandez. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he is projected to be the fifth starter in the Royals rotation. Uh, he did. This is like most of the reason I picked him is just because because of his visuals. Uh, I'll explain that, but it's it's interesting. Um, so he struggled last year, but he went underwent some major changes to his pitch arsenal. Chris, if you go to Savant and you look at his pitch percent by season, you'll see that there's a giant X going through it because in 2020, 
uh, he debuted, and he used his sinker 49.4% of the time, and then he used it 7.3% of the time in 2021. On the other hand, he used his four-seam fastball 2% of the time in 2020 and 48.5% of the time in 2021. So he just, and he has a five-pitch arch, pitch arsenal, by the way. So, like, between 2020 and 2021, he ditched his main pitch and replaced it for the pitch he used the least. Like, completely. Yeah, very interesting. Which I don't think is practiced that often. Uh, also worth noting, he has an average fastball velocity of 97.1 miles an hour. Uh, 3.9% of the four-seamers he threw reached 100 miles an hour, which doesn't seem like a big, but it's fifth, it ranks fifth among the 318 pitchers to throw at least 400, uh, 300 four-seamers. So, um, that is worth noting. Um, I think he can be an interesting piece to look at just because of, it'll be interesting to see if he stays with the fastball, uh, if he's able to locate better, because if he can, I mean, he's throwing a hundred more consistently than most starting pitchers out there. It also, it's also worth noting, like maybe they send him to the bullpen. If some other pitchers come up, guys like Asa Lacey that I know are in the minors, Jackson Coer, if they develop further because i think with that kind of arsenal like maybe it's worth taking a look at having him pitch in relief yeah yeah interesting um yeah interesting transition from uh carlos hernandez for sure um so my player to watch uh so i think most of the players to watch with like yeah all the players to watch with the royals are on the younger side um, I didn't want to put Bobby Witt Jr. because I feel like that's that's too easy. Like he's, <laughs> you could argue he's the best player on the Royals, even though he's never played a game for them. You could. That is a great point. You absolutely could argue that. Um, <laughs> yeah. For reference, yeah, he's yesterday he was just named the number one prospect in baseball according to MLB.com. Um, he had 33 home runs and 29 stolen bases, and he plays good shortstop as well. Um, I think in spring training last year, he had like some 400, like 70 something foot home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's obviously a player to watch. And I thought you might go with the direction of uh, MJ Melendez because you actually mentioned him yes. uh, to me in the offseason. Uh, MJ Melendez, he's a catching sp- catching prospect you know i don't see him you know he, he's gonna have salvador perez in front of him so he'll probably like find a new position this year maybe at first base or dh or something uh he had the most home runs in minor league baseball last year um and you know has an estimated time of arrival for 2022 so i didn't go with either of those two i went with uh nick prato or prado uh he was the 14th overall pick in the 2017 draft. He's the number three prospect in the Royal system and the number three first base prospect in baseball. Uh, and he has an estimated time of arrival for 2022. Uh, last year, he had a 385 on base percentage, a 988 OPS and 36 home runs uh, in minor league baseball. So, you know, MJ Melendez, probably got more attention because he had 41 home runs which led the minors but uh and you know had a little bit over a 1000 ops but nick prado was right there with him um in that uh 
in that Kansas City minor league system. I mean, I wonder where the Omaha Storm Chasers finished last year. They had a stacked yeah, lineup. They did. Like, uh, I'm I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> Twenty. Yeah, they had Bobby Wood Jr. They had Nick Prado. They had MJ Melendez. Yeah, Omaha Storm Chasers. Uh, like, if uh, they, yeah, like it went seventy three and fifty six. So yeah, a good team. I I bet like their pitchers must have been slacking. Like they should have been. <laughs> they probably should have been better, even though they were a quality team. Um, yeah, really. yeah, like you have yeah you have Bobby Witt Jr. hitting thirty three home runs. Uh, you have Nick Prado hitting 36 and MJ Melendez hitting 41. <laughs> like that's some quality. It's also funny guys. because like we talk about these power hitters, like that's not the, that hasn't been the Royals philosophy like ever. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> outside of Jorge Soler that one year. Yeah. And yeah, like, I guess, I guess Salvador Perez, but even Salvador then like Perez. he was on those teams that, like him and Mike Mustakas, like yeah, they were power hitters, but they were on those teams that like won with small ball and stuff. Oh yeah, my now for my uh, actual player to watch under the radar guy, um, you know <laughs> Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez, he is forty eight home runs, <laughs> the most best offensive ever. season by a catcher ever. Ever? Uh, <laughs> did he, did he win Gold Glove last year? No, I don't okay. even think he was a, a four. You know. What four time, four or five time gold glove winner, Salvador <laughs> Perez? Uh, <laughs> yeah, free swinger. That guy, he's got a he's got a great arm. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of home runs, but that's about that's about it. <laughs> that's literally all he does. All, all you all you really need to know. Um, if you just looked at slugging percentage, he's awesome, but don't look at OBP or OPS for that matter. Yeah, and don't don't look or at his weighted runs graded plus or anything it's yeah not ISO or slugging. yeah <laughs> definitely don't look at framing yeah definitely not um but yeah uh he'll be in the way of mj melendez um but i mean you know he's better he's... i mean worth noting why don't they just move him why don't they move salvi to dh put melendez yeah. on the plate salvi can only have to be a hitter but he's got talk, four have... gold gloves. Here's the thing. I can appreciate Salvador Perez a lot more if he's just a hitter. Yeah, me too. Because we don't have to talk about best offensive season by a DH of all time with Salvador Perez doing what he did last year. Yeah. <laughs> no one's throwing that out there. Yeah. Like, that was most of the reason that I was annoyed by it was people were like, Salvador Perez, the best catcher offensively ever. No, <laughs> no, not even close, actually. Yeah. No one's having that conversation with DH if he does the same thing. So it's cool. Yeah. He's um, he's basically Mike Piazza offensively and Yadier Merlina defensively. Yeah, that was that was speeder too. Yeah. Like that wasn't just one of these like An opinion I respect. Yeah. I lost I lost some respect. Yeah, baseball wise, an opinion like that you yeah. Yeah, what the heck? The guy that you were um, talking about. Um, All right, so now on to questions. Um, yeah, so I'll go first this time. Uh, I guess it's an interesting question since you only went with Prado because you thought I was going with Melendez. I First of all, I will give attention at Melendez, I promise. I just couldn't ignore the weirdness of Carlos Hernandez. Yeah. Um, so who will make more of an impact this year, MJ Melendez or Nick Prado? Huh. Um, 
that's a good question um yeah it, it's it's weird because like they had extremely similar offense production i think mj melendez's ops was like 10 11 nick prado's was 988 um i think and you know um Prado is more likely to find a defensive position. He'll probably go to first base. MJ Melendez will probably be in the DH role and maybe split time with Perez uh, catching-wise. So I feel like they'll get similar amount of playing time. Um, and uh, The Royals are – I'm sorry to interrupt, but the Royals are probably going to have to carry three catchers on their roster if Melendez is performing well, because it's like, those are like Perez and Melendez are guys you want to have in the lineup every day, but they're both catchers. So like, of course you're going to want to have to give them some rest. Yeah. Um, just an observation. Well, if, if, if Perez, yeah. Well, if, if Melendez goes on the days, Perez isn't going to go behind the plate. I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like if you have a, if you have a two catcher system, um, that's good. But I guess, yeah, I guess you'll want to have some some days off for some of them. But didn't like Perez didn't Perez play like 161 games last year? Uh no, really? I think I think it, it was pretty insane. Um and not only that, he played 161 games. He did. Oh my god. Okay. Wow. Um yeah. He had uh yeah, he, you know, he was in there a lot. I should look at the standard field and to see how many of those times he was catching, standard fielding, catching. Uh, he caught in, he, he was the starting catcher in 120 of those games. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then starting DH for 40, the math doesn't add up there. Or no, he, I think he was a pinch hitter. Yeah, he was a pinch hitter one of those games. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so he'll probably they'll probably split some time there. And yeah, I don't know how often MJ Melendez is going to play. I don't know how often he's going to be behind the plate. But uh, back to your question, um, I will say uh, I will say Nick Prado. Okay. Just you know. I don't know. I feel like it's He's a real coin, it's a real coin flip, and I feel like maybe more people are focused on Melendez. So I'll just throw a little bit of a curve. I it. mean, the correct answer is realistically Bobby Wood Jr., but it's well, just yeah. too easy. He's gonna, yeah, he'll be most likely better than both. Um, my question is, uh, you know, it'll probably involve some of the players we just mentioned, along with uh, some other guys that. It, accumulated some wins above replacement and I, I actually did specifically gear this um in the way that it did for you know a certain reason who will uh, lead the team in position player f4 as we know ah. the perez, <laughs> perez um i mean there's a lot of ways i could go with this because you know, last like, year i think i feel like you were setting me up to say melendez Last year um, it was Nicky Lopez. I was gonna think I was gonna say Nicky Lopez is a viable option with his defense if he can, you know, keep the offense up. Uh, a full year of Andrew Benatendi 
you know, could seem tempting. Bobby Wood Jr. coming up. Yeah. Hmm. Position player F4. It's tough. Um. You know what? I'm going to say Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. I, I would, think he does it. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yep. I'm going to I'm going to go with the fact that the rookie is the best player on the team. Yeah, if you had betting odds, I think he would be the favorite. Yeah. Um if you know if people know about F4 and catcher framing. <laughs> yes. Um they won't pick Perez. Uh so yeah, like that's a pretty viable viable option. I think yeah. I think I would probably pick Bobby Wood Jr. as well. Um, all right. On to the Detroit Tigers. Yes. Who last year went 77 and 85. Um, I think they were over 500 from May 8th on. Yep, that's literally what I was looking up right now. They went 77 uh, from May 8th on. They went 68 and 61. Yeah. 68 and 61. So they went 77 and 85. Overall, 68 and 61 in their final 129 games uh, and finished third in the American League Central. They lost uh, Matthew Boyd and Willie Peralta, and they added uh, some pretty big pieces with Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, who was who went who started it last? Should I do my player to watch? Uh, yes, you, or yeah, you, I started with Hernandez first. Yeah. Uh, my player to watch is, um, I, I'm not going to, uh, this isn't too much of a deep dive. Uh, Jamer, Jamer Candelario. Yep. Um, last year under the radar, uh, led the MLB in doubles. And since the wow. start of 2020, he ranks seventh in F4 among third basemen. And he is right between Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman. Uh, in that category of Fangraphs wins of a replacement. Um, he's, you know, he's kind of an under the radar uh, contributor, um, you know, had a 795 OPS last year. Um, he's getting better over time, I believe, you know, in his late twenties. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, he's probably one of the, one of the catalysts of that offense, you know, he probably has, yeah, he's been, the best offense contributor for the Tigers over the past two years. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll probably be, if the, if the Tigers do have success this year, he'll probably be one of the main reasons. Um, that's all, right. all I have on Jamar Candelario. Uh, who do you have? Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say, going back to your Royals pick, like I respect that you went with one of the, like the secondary prospects and not the obvious guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anyway, my Tigers player to watch is uh, Spencer Torkelson. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, um, Spencer Torkelson. To be fair, two years ago I went with Casey Mize. Yeah. <laughs> Worth it. Uh, Fangraphs has him with 560 plate appearances, 30 home runs, and a 497 slugging percentage this year. If he achieves this, he will become the 20th rookie in MLB history to accumulate each of those numbers. Uh, they have him hitting seventh right now. I think by the end of the year, he could be hitting cleanup with probably Baez hitting third. Um, this is a guy that is legit. Uh, he was the, the number one pick two years ago for a reason. He's only entering his age 22 season, uh, so he's very young. This is a guy like this is 
if you're going to watch the Tigers this year, you know, they have a very under the radar, sneaky, good team. But if there's, if you need just one single reason to watch, this is it. This guy's going to be coming up this year. I think he's going to light the world on fire this year. Uh, yeah. Like, um, we mentioned the additions of Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez. Spencer Torkelson could be a better addition, you know, even yes. though he's coming from the system, a better addition than both of those team. guys yeah. this year. Um, um, what are some of the things in general for the Tigers? I mean, I think their lineup is like, all right. Like, yeah, I mean, just looking up and down, Akil Badu, Robbie Grossman, Javier Baez, Jamar Candelario. Uh, Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera, Spencer Torkelson, Tucker Barnhart, also a very under-the-radar good addition, Victor Reyes. Oh, yeah, I forgot to put that um, as an addition. Yeah, and then in the pitching staff, Eduardo Rodriguez as the ace. I think having that veteran leadership is huge for guys like Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning. Uh, I think those are kind of the big three. They also have Riley Green. Is he coming up this year? He says his, he says his ETA is 2022. Outfielder uh, right with Torkelson. Uh, as a well, some prospect. quality bullpen arms as well with Greg yeah. Soto, Michael Fulmer, like kind of Michael Andrew Fulmer. Ch- they they just added Andrew Chafin. Yeah, yeah, they just uh, yeah, I forgot to put that down. Yeah, yeah, they added yeah the yeah Tucker Barnhart, qual- definitely quality defensive, um, defensive backstop uh, who won a Gold Glove a few years back, um, and can also add some offense there and. Like what was their catching situation? There was Eric Haas, which like yeah. he didn't play a whole lot, but he was all right. Yeah, he's good. Um, but yeah, Tucker Barnhart adding to that left-handed bat um, in the catcher's role. Um, so yeah, he he'll be a good addition. And I think the the thing with the Tigers is like they're a very they're a, they're a growing roster. So like even if they don't have a ton of additions, I think they're going to make a lot of improvements. I think you know, Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning are going to make, you know, steps up, uh, you know, I can imagine Akil Badu and, you know, I don't know. I don't think Nico, I don't know if Nico Goodrum is going to, he's not on the team anymore. Yeah. He's not. He, so he's, he's not on the gonna, Astros. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, maybe Willie Castro is going to make, make the lineup a little bit. Um, you do like having Robbie Grossman in that lineup. He's a guy who gets on base. Yes, he does. Um, gets on base quite a bit uh and yeah Condelario like I mentioned and Torkelson that's a big addition you know number one overall pick in 2020 and what number four prospect in baseball number three number four and five yeah I think if Riley Green can be replacing Victor Reyes in the lineup by the end of the year like that's a huge upgrade um oh so oh Riley Green is an outfielder MLB.com. He's, he's literally, I'm pretty sure on MLB.com, he's right below Torkelson. He kind of snuck up. I didn't, yeah. He wasn't like, I don't think he was super high on the list last year. I think he's snuck up. Yeah. He was there. Uh, let me check where he was last year. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. He Maybe I should have had him as the player to watch. <laughs> uh, 534 slugging in the minors last year from Riley Green um, and an ETA for 2022. So, that's this is like my I guess a uh, another guy worth watching a player to watch that I didn't officially put as a player to watch. But uh, yeah, also a won... former former something you should know former Connecticut Tiger. Oh wait, hmm. or wait, uh, played a hundred games there in twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. It wasn't while I worked there. Dang. Okay. <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. Or how many 
games did he play? Because the, the good guys, the good guys didn't really play on the Connecticut Tigers. He only played twenty four games there. Um, twenty four games got a hundred plate appearances. Where did he get? I'm pretty drafted? sure he was a top draft pick too. First round, fifth overall in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So th- yeah, and uh, three hundred one, three eighty seven, five thirty four, four A. Yeah, nine twenty. 920- 921 OPS in the minors last year. Um, yeah, that's a quality guy. Quality, yeah. yeah. Just a growing roster. And I mean, like maybe they won't, it's possible, like they probably won't be quite knocking on the door of the AL Central this year, but I think next year. That's when we start. Their, that's when as their real. roster grows. Sure. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be a hot contender for sure. Um, and it, you know, there's growing optimism after finishing the year 68 and 61, also. Mm-hmm. Um, so Questions. yeah, on to the question. Um, who asked first last time? You, uh, I did. Well, it's it's just whoever presents their player first, so that would be you. Oh, yeah. Um, so my question regards two players that had pretty opposite seasons. Um, who will have the better season, Casey Mize or Eduardo Rodriguez? I think Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he's really going to benefit from that new ballpark and getting away from the Red Sox infield defense because that was, as you as you know more than anyone else, Chris, abysmal. He had a 316 Babbitt against on ground balls. That's not supposed to happen. The fact that he has Javier Baez behind him, that alone is like a huge upgrade regardless of who else is playing in the infield. Right. Um Torgelson, I believe, is a first baseman, right? Yeah, he is. So, I mean, I guess having a rookie at first is going to be interesting because we really don't know what to expect out of him. Uh, Candelario and Scope are decent as well. Um, I think for that reason, like, moving from Fenway to Comerica is a huge upgrade for any pitcher. Moving from the Red Sox infield defense to anywhere else is a huge upgrade for a pitcher. And uh, I think Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be the better one. For that reason, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Um, I also have a question regarding the pitching staff. Which of the young pitchers do you see the most growth out of this year? The most growth. So that would mean. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the best guy. It doesn't have to be those three. That's who I was thinking. Like you could pick someone else if you want. Um, I should, like, uh, I should look at some of their numbers based off of like. Um, I can tell you off the top of my head, Mize was very good. He just needs to strike out more guys. Scooble strikes out a lot of guys. I would just love to see more walks. And Manning is kind of all around. Um, Scooble Scooble had over two home runs per nine. Yes. Um, Yes. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say we see the most growth out of. well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's growth, but I see an ERA dip for Tarek Scooble because he's already got a quality strikeout to strikeout to walk ratio. I feel like he'll probably he has to allow less home runs. I think we're gonna see the most growth because growth can growth is a bit. It's a very subjective term. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I think. In terms of run prevention, we will see the m- most growth out of Tark Scooble. And then in terms of like 
strikeout rate um, and like strikeout to walk ratio. Maybe Matt Manning. Okay. Um, not to give you multiple answers, but yeah, I think no, we'll I see. Think it's, I think, it's I think we'll answer. see the most direct improvement from like Tark's Google in terms of like yes. helping the Tigers win. Um, all right. All right. So now on to the newly named Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, it uh, is a it is a new era in Cleveland. Yes, uh, I think this team is a sneaky good lineup. Uh, um, I mean, I know that there have been some Jose Ramirez trade rumors. Uh, I I don't think they trade him. I think he's going to be on the unless they get an offer they can't deny, which I don't think exists. Um. Yeah. Uh, a good lineup. I should look at, or I should probably go to the Fangraphs projected lineup. Yes. Um. Well, I last think if we could year... see. I think if we could see some growth out of Bobby Bradley, you know, he was a guy that had a lot of power last year, but he struck out a lot, like more than just the average, a lot. Um, that's a guy that can make a huge impact on a lineup. Um, and 99 strikeouts and 279 point appearances. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like almost um, 40%. <laughs> I think this is a team that's, they're not going to hit a home run, a lot of home runs, but if they can hit a lot of doubles, that's cool. Like I am looking at guys like Miles Straw, Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez. Uh, those are the, and then you can leave the home runs to guys like Fred Reyes, Bobby Bradley. Right. Bradley Zimmer right. for the doubles too. Um, do you have anything to say before I get into my player to watch? Um, uh, just basic information. They went 80 and 82 and finished second in the AL Central last year. That was um, without, mostly without Terry Francona at the helm. And uh, in terms of losses, they lost Brian Shaw, Blake Parker, Harold Ramirez, Roberto Perez, and Wilson Ramos. Um, but, uh, and they didn't really make any uh, significant additions necessarily. Uh, who is your player to watch? So, are you looking at this Fangraphs projected lineup right now, Chris? Um, no. Let me let me. Okay. I thought. Um, okay. No, no worries. I thought you were. Um, team. Cleveland. Um. Projection. How do you get to the projected lineup? Okay, so you go to roster resource, roster. and you just go to current depth charts. You click on Guardians, and then there's a bunch of options above and it says depth charts and you'll see the projected uh well it's the it's the starting lineup versus right handers uh so this could be different based on the day okay i see yeah but regardless Spra, rosario Ramirez, yeah. Reyes. so okay. you look up and down this lineup there's one name that you're like wait who is that guy yeah yeah i get Am it I right yeah yeah <laughs> my player to watch is steven kwan who is a left fielder and Chris, this guy is super interesting. Last year, he had 341 plate appearances between AA and AAA, which is why he's you know projected to be on the opening day roster. He slashed 328, 407, 527, 934 for 154 weighted runs created plus. He is a 10.6% walk rate and a 9.1% strikeout rate. This dude does not swing and miss. He hits everything. And he hits them far. 527 slugging. Uh, almost a 200 <laughs> ISO. He was one of just three players in all of minor league baseball. Double A, triple A, single A. The complex leagues. The development leagues. 
He is one of three players in all of minor league baseball to have more strikeouts than walks and a 150 weighted runs created plus. That's minimum 300 plate appearances. I believe there were like 800 of such players. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That that is a guy that I will be I will have my eye on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, hitting three. Yeah, I'm looking at the. Uh, the only real red flag is that he's a Cleveland outfielder. Yeah, that's which is that's not terrible. even his fault. Yeah, like if Mike Trout got traded there, his OPS <laughs> would be below a hundred. That's um, so true. Yeah, like they can have every Trout. year. We're like, this is the outfielder that's gonna break out, but this one's for real. Yeah, yeah. This one, this one is actually gonna happen. I can feel it. This is the year. Yeah, they could have Trout, Soto, and Acuna. <laughs> it's not gonna work. Um, yeah, it's tough. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, yeah, it, it is funny because I did go to the projected lineup and I was like, who is Stephen Kwan? That and, is Stephen uh, Kwan. And yeah, uh, 930 OPS, 934 OPS in the minors, 328 average. Um, yeah, 12 home runs, 15 doubles in 77 games. Yeah, looks like, uh, yeah, potential. There's, yeah, yeah you know, potential. He's projected a 342 OBP uh, in 329 plate appearances this year. So he's probably not going to play the full season. Um, I, I could see him starting out in the minor leagues. Like, this right. is, I looked it up. For some reason, this guy just isn't, like, really highly touted in Cleveland's system. I don't know why. So I don't think it's a guy that's worth, like, uh, wasting a year of service time on. Like I do, I don't. So I don't think he's actually on the opening day roster, but I think he's there for a large part of the season. Yeah, because I mean, if he's if he's in the projected lineup, then like... yeah, like there are guys, especially outfielders, that are worth looking at. Like George Valera is one of their top prospects. Bo Naylor is there. Nolan Jones. Like if they're gonna if they're gonna like exempt themselves from service, especially Cleveland, if they're gonna exempt themselves from service time manipulation, I think it'd be on those guys. I don't think it'd be on a guy like Stephen Kwan. Uh, but I do think he makes it this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was also looking up, yeah, drafted in 2018. He's had some time in the minors for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my player to watch is a guy who um, I had as a how about that last year, um, and he continued his success after I put him as a how about that. So um, I figured I, I'd put him in, you know, the – you know, when when you think of the Guardians rotation, you think of Shane Bieber heading that rotation, rightfully so. You know, won the Cy Young in 2020, was having a very good another very good year last year before he ran into injury troubles. Um, but uh, the guy number two in that rotation is uh, someone who they picked up in a trade with the Padres uh, in the middle of the 2020 season, and uh, who produced. A very good season for them last year, a 289 ERA last year. Cal Quantrill um, coming from the right side. Uh, pretty much all his success came in the second half of last year. In the second half, uh, he had the second lowest ERA out of 41 qualifiers with a 194 ERA. Also, out of 58 pitchers with 200 plus batted balls in the second half, Quantrill's average exit velocity against was ninth lowest. And his hard hit rate against was seventh lowest. So he's a guy who gets soft contact. Um, 
you know, more of an older school pitcher and uh, was able to succeed and probably will, um, you know, maybe he probably won't be able to succeed on the same level he did last year, but he'll, he'll probably give you some consistent innings. He's also a guy with uh, a good amount of control. So he's probably, you know, another, another, you know, successful Indians or no, not Indians, whoops, a successful not guardians Indian. pitcher that uh, you will, that you will uh, see in, you know, in the coming years uh, as he uh, continues to develop. Um, so uh, what is the question regarding the Guardians? The Guardians. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So James Karinchak showed to be one of the most affected pitchers by the substance ban last year. Uh, I think his, his K per nine was cut in half. It went from like 15 to like mid eights. Um, it was 15.92 to 8.7. So how will he fare in his first season since the ban? Like, will he re- will he have a resurgence, or will he kind of stay where he was in June through the end of last season? Man, it's um yeah, Karen Chak, as you mentioned, yeah, has had an interesting career path. Uh, yeah, Karen Chak, um, yeah, there was that funny thing where he like started a like donation thing for like per strikeout, and uh then the substance spin happened and his strikeout rate went down dramatically. It was weird. Um, but yeah, James Karen career path. Uh, very interesting. Um, as you mentioned, and yeah, like I, I remember a podcast, you know, we, we used to listen to a guy mentioned him uh, like before, I think before he ever stepped on the big league mound he just had like this crazy strikeout rate, but it might have been partially because of uh, substances. And then you know, great 2020 season, and then uh, you know, a tale of two seasons last season. Uh, and you know, I I think I see Karen Chak as you know he's not going to be a stopper. I think I mean you know Emmanuel Classe will continue to be the best reliever on that uh on that team. I think, you know, he'll be like a seventh, eighth inning guy, uh, mid threes ERA, probably a strikeout, you know, strikeouts per nine around 10 or 11, you know, he'll probably be kind of in between okay. where he was last year and this year. I think he'll make, I think he'll make some adjustments without the, uh, you know, substances. Maybe he just had to make an adjustment. All right. Um, your question? My question. Um, Will both Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber be on the team by the end of the season? I think they will. Yeah, I think they will. Um, Shane Bieber, I think, is just a much easier yes because I think he's like he's only Arb one this year. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would just want to make sure. And then Ramirez. Yeah, he's an okay. So yeah, he's an R one this year. Ramirez has two years left on his deal, um. So, well, he has a club option for twenty twenty three. Um, for the contract he's currently under, I see no reason why they don't pick that up, even if it's Cleveland. Um. Yeah, I I do think he stays in the team this year. I don't really know. I don't really have much to explain. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's about that. I think I asked that question because I like I kind of see the Guardians like 
either staying in the same spot or being even potentially worse worse than last year. Yeah. Because I, I just don't like I don't think it's gonna be to the point of trading Jose Ramirez. Like maybe they sell off some other pieces, like maybe they sell off Ramio Reyes, maybe they sell off like Aaron Savali, Zach Lezak. Yeah. Um, but like I don't think I don't think it gets that drastic. Yeah, and they seem they usually do some of their bigger deals in the off season. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've ever like sold big at the deadline before because they've mostly been in contention. I don't yeah, think even they when did they that did, much last year. Even when they did sell a big piece, they still got like major league. Mm-hmm. Like, at at the deadline, the the one time they did sell off a big piece, they got quality major league uh quality major league return with like Yasiel Puig and uh that's right yeah that was a big deal but it also helped them in the present day yeah um yeah okay i mean i think that's my answer is that no they do not get traded this year they are still in the roster uh on opening day now come 2023 um i think the guardians pick up on that club option on jose ramirez because it's he's owed i think like 13 million dollars yeah which is if it was $23 million, I would still say he's underpaid. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's paid. Yeah, he's owed $11 million this year and $13 million on the club option of 2023. Yeah, he might just be like a, he might be. How a, did they, um, how did they get him to sign that? Like after 2017, he signed a seven year, $48 million contract. After 2017? After 2016. Okay. That's right, yeah still yeah. yeah that was like his first good season i guess and it wasn't it still wasn't like mvp worthy but wow yeah like you could argue he's a top five position player in baseball and like if he was on the free agent market now he should be getting north of 30 million aav yeah. um that team that team they're they have a projected payroll of 52 million dollars this year yeah if and they if, uh, if they extended Jose Ramirez to give him like twenty eight million dollars in average annual value, it would go up to like seventy percent or seventy million dollars. Yeah, that's so sad. And uh, for those unaware, Jose Ramirez, since I believe the start of twenty seventeen, only Mike Trout and Mookie Betts rank above him in F four. That is and so depressing. Since the start of twenty twenty, uh, he has the most F four in all of baseball. Yeah. Um should have won uh, MVP in 2020 as well. Yeah. Yeah, should have won MVP in 2020. He's one of the best players in baseball and and doesn't get enough appreciation. Um so yeah. Uh now on to the Chicago White Sox. Um the you know, they went 93 and 69 last year, won the American League Central, and then lost to the Astros in the American League Division Series in four games. Uh, they lost Carlos Rodon, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the program. They also lost Ryan Tapera, uh, and then, you know, on more on a more minor scale, Brian Goodwin and Evan Marshall. And they added, uh, mostly just in their bullpen, Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly. Um, I don't think they added anyone else necessarily significantly unless i missed something uh yeah Ken, kendall graveman and uh joe kelly was mostly it they picked up craig kimbrell's option i guess right um yeah, they did not make any trades wow 
Yeah. Not a single uh, one. So my player to watch, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned him on the podcast, but I mentioned him to few to you. I was going to say, there was only one correct answer here. Yeah. <laughs> there uh, was only one correct answer. Like I mentioned earlier in the program, some of the guys I mentioned just because they're funny and he's funny. He's good, but he's also he's downright funny. hilarious. Yeah, funny. He's just funny. Aaron Bummer. I mean, the name's funny too. Aaron Bummer. So uh, despite finishing 81st in, A- in ERA among 141 relievers <laughs> with 50 plus innings pitched, uh, yeah, despite finishing 81st among 141 relievers with 50 plus innings pitched in the ERA category, he finished 18th in the OPS against category and 22nd in FIP. So there was a big difference. Like, having a big difference in like ranking and ERA and OPS against usually doesn't make sense. Uh, And also he had the 18th highest strikeouts per nine of those 141 relievers. So, you know, top of the line, top like uh, 15%, 20% in strikeouts per nine among the relievers with 50 plus innings pitch. So why the ranking in ERA and OPS against were so different was because a lot of the earned runs he allowed were after he was taken out of the game. So he would, you know, maybe he'd get two outs and allow one base runner, but, you know, have a guy on first, but maybe the, the guys, the guy who came in after him to try and get the third out would allow that runner to come in which, you know, it's charged to Aaron Bummer, but still a lot of the time, like the, the, the amount of run, the amount of inherited runners allowed by the guys that followed him, it should not have been that amount, or, you know, logically speaking, statistically speaking, like it, it just normally shouldn't happen. So to, I went through his game logs, uh, 10 of the 22 earned runs he allowed uh, were allowed after he was taken out of the game. I feel like that's a high amount. That's not really a statistic that baseball reference or fan graphs keeps track of, like inherited runners allowed that are charged to you, like that other people allowed. Not really kept track of, but I feel like that's a lot. Uh, so also he had the 50th unluckiest difference uh, in ERA and expected ERA out of 428 pitchers with hundred plus batted balls in play against them last year. Uh, that is top 12% in terms of unlucky. Um, and then the other hilarious thing about Aaron Bummer is he had a 76.9% ground ball rate, which is the third highest rate among the 4,605 seasons in the stack cast era with a hundred plus batted balls against. And he had a negative 10.9 average launch angle against which is the lowest average launch angle against of those 4,605 seasons in the stack cast era with 100 plus batted balls against. Um, so Aaron Bummer, just uh, hilarious, hilarious to talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, the moral of the story is quality reliever. I mean, he had a FIP under three last year and expected ERA under three last year. So uh, don't forget about him when you think about the stacked White Sox bullpen. The other thing to note about Aaron Bummer is that among the, uh, let's see, how many pitchers was it? 
355 pitchers last year with that faced at least 200 batters. Aaron Bummer had the shift behind him, the third least amount in the league, which is so stupid because if he's pitching, you don't expect a ground ball. You assume a ground ball. It's going to happen way more often than not. Over three quarters of the time. Why are you not putting the infield in a shift? Makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah. Like, if you, like, go back and watch, I believe it was, uh, it was game, uh, go back and watch with caution, but go back and watch game two of the ALDS last year and watch the inning that Bummer pitched. He gave up three consecutive ground ball hits, all of which would have been fielded by the shift. Yeah, I remember my tweet about that because he, in uh, with the four batters he faced, you know, he allowed three hits, which is a 750 batting average. But when I went on Baseball Savant at the time, it's, you know, when I added up the expected batting average, the expected batting average for those four hitters was 195. The actual batting yeah. average was 750. <laughs> so stupid. So uh, all them, like... It's a Tony La Russa moment out. if I've ever seen one. What? It's a Tony La Russa moment if I've ever seen one. For oh, sure. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, unfortunately the manager stays the same, but he should be, uh, there should be more shifts put in place when Aaron Bummer is on the mound. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so who is your play to watch from Uh, the South side? So I went with a more well-known player, but for an unknown reason, uh, I'm talking about Tim Anderson. Now, Chris, if I talk, if I tell you that Tim Anderson is a four tool player, what's the one tool that you're automatically knocking out of your head? It's like, well, it's not this one. Um, is it arm? No, it's not arm. It's uh, I was thinking, I was thinking power. Oh yeah, power. That's awkward. But anyway, uh, Tim Anderson, not known for being a power hitter. I think you can agree with that. Yeah, no, he's he's known for hitting for contact for sure. Yes, of the two hundred sixty-one hitters that had at least two hundred batted balls last year. Tim Anderson had the highest WOBA when going to the opposite field. For some <laughs> reason, he is literally Barry Bonds when he goes the other way. He had 17 home runs last year. 10 of them went the other way. And since 2002, which is as far back as Fangraph's data goes, there have been 2,154 seasons where a hitter had at least 100 batted balls to the opposite field. And Tim Anderson's 263 weighted runs created plus ranks 13th on that list. Again, that is... 2,154 seasons, Tim Anderson is 13th in a power stat. Uh, so for whatever reason, when he goes the opposite way, he's the best hitter. He was one of the best hitters of the last 20 years. Um, yeah. Okay. It's also worth noting, this is not just a Tim Anderson thing. It goes for everyone, but I think it's very funny. Uh, he is a negative six degree launch angle when he pulls the ball and a 20 degree launch angle when he goes the opposite way. Um. Uh, and I checked at all the other like known ground ball hitters, like the known contact hitters. It's roughly the same for most of them. So it's not just a Tim Anderson thing, but it also is just fun to realize. Yeah. What was his uh, launch angle on pulling the ball? Negative six degrees. Yeah. <laughs> the 26 degree difference. Yeah. <laughs> it's substantial. And again, that's a 263 weighted runs created plus when he goes the other way. Uh, runs and yeah and that, uh, led, that led the league in 2021 as well and you said like 20 something out of 2000 uh, 13th out of 2154 seasons wow yeah um 
Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty that's crazy. A, it's interesting. If you're going to watch Tim Anderson, if he goes to the opposite way, it's probably going to be a home run or a double. Yeah. Keep the ball inside on him. <laughs> yes, that's actually a really good thing for the scouting report. Yeah. Uh, yeah, keep that, keep that ball inside. Um, all right, my question is uh, kind of basic, but I feel like there's a good amount of there's there's some good candidates for different reasons, um, you know, on this subject. Who will lead the White Sox pitchers? Who will lead White Sox pitchers in strikeouts? In stri- oh, like total strikeouts. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm gonna say Lucas Giolito. I think that's the easiest choice. I think it's the most reasonable choice. Um, Do you want to guess who did last year? Was it him? No. Was it Dylan Cease? Yeah. Wow. And he that's had, cool. Uh, he had like 25 more than uh, Giolito, but that's, a lot of that's cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think Lance Lynn is a viable. Maybe it's uh maybe it's Liam Hendricks with like 22 strikeouts per nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not totally out out of reason. Um. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Lucas Giolito. He's still, he's entering his age 27 season. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, he's a candidate. He's someone that could go 200 innings. I think it's possible. And I think he would average over a strikeout per inning if he does so. Yeah, for uh, sure. I think just based on volume and strikeout rate, like I think Luke, Lucas Giolito fits the, fits the description more than anyone else. Right, right. Yeah, he does. Dylan Cease, he might have a good strikeout rate. I don't see him pitching as many innings as Lucas Giolito because of the walks. Right, right. Um, yeah, like he he has a he can have a bit of a walk issue. He had uh, almost four per nine last year. Yes. Um, so my yeah. question. Your question. Uh, my question. The White Sox last year went nine and sixteen against the other American League playoff teams. That being the, um, the Red Sox, the Astros, the Yankees, and the Rays. Nine and sixteen. That was. One of the big reasons why we weren't really sure what to think of them coming into the postseason. They have yeah. 23 games against those teams this year. Predict their record. 23 games against those teams. Um, well, I'm thinking about what the other teams have done. So, like, Red Sox, kind of stagnant. Yankees, you could say the same, although they might get Correa. Uh, yeah. Astros, um, potentially losing Correa or keeping him. <laughs> we don't know. And then... Uh, and then the Rays, um, maybe not a 100-win team this year, but definitely a contender for the playoffs. I think the White yeah. Sox will go 11-12 and 12 against those teams. In 25 games? Oh, or 23 20... games. Never mind. No, it's 23. I was wrong. Yeah. I think they'll Good. go 11. That's a reasonable guess. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not as bad. I think uh, also the White Sox, like, they're more li- they're likely to be more healthy this year, like, you're going to have Eloy and Luis Robert for uh, longer. Ideally the whole season, yeah. Hopefully Yasmani Grandal for longer than they had him last year. Um, so hopefully a nice, healthy season for the White Sox. And I think that'll bring them more likely to get closer to 100 wins total and better against those uh, against those teams. All right. So that does it for the American League Central. It's yeah. going to be a nice, long extravaganza. Um, now on to the National League Central. Uh, right. 
with uh, the big, you know, big spending <laughs> pirates. They got um, Daniel Vogelbach. They got Heath Hembry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's about it. Uh, they overperformed last year with a 61 and 100 <laughs> record and finished last in the NL Central. Um, yeah, they added Vogelbach and Hembry. They lost Jacob Stallings, who I think was like second on the team in B War. Yes. Um, because I, I saw his face second. Um, who are we looking at? Player, player to watch. Um, well. I think this is a team that will not lose 100 games. Uh, they play more games against the Cubs that are more depleted than most of the games they played against them last year. They play more games against the Reds. That goes without saying. Um, they're also going to have Key Brian Hayes for the whole season. They're going to have O'Neill Cruz for the full season. Yeah. My player to watch is a guy that I talked about as a how about that last year. It is I'm going the same route you did last year with the Pirates. I'm going with David Bednar because mm-hmm. uh, you talked about Richard Rodriguez. I'm talking about David yeah. Bender. From <laughs> August through the end of the season, which is after I did my I did my how about that how about that on him on July 4th. From August through the end of the season, he had an 092 ERA and a 119 FIP. <laughs> Pretty excellent. Uh, also in August, uh, this I found was interesting. He dropped his split finger and ran with the fastball and curveball, and he had his best results of the season. And the split finger wasn't even that bad for him. Um, but he dropped it and he did very well. So it'll be interesting to see if he uh, sticks with his fastball and his curveball, if he brings back the splitter, or if he adds a new pitch. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something to watch for with him because it's not uncommon for relievers to only have two pitches, but he's succeeded with three and he succeeded with two. So I'm very curious to see uh, what he does this year. Yeah, Bednar was excellent last year i was looking um i was looking through the roster preparing for this and yeah 223 era overall 269 fip overall and yeah i want to see that uh what what his strikeout to walk ratio was yeah he's going to be the closer for this team no doubt yeah um and a pretty young guy too like Mm -hmm. his brother uh was like mvp of the college world series last year oh nice he got drafted first round by the giants um 27 strikeouts, four walks from August on with no home runs allowed. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep, that'll do it. He, yeah, he was pretty great. And yet, um, heading into his age 27 season. Yeah. Uh, pretty quality, pretty quality reliever last year and probably will remain. He got uh, rookie of the year votes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, finished eighth in that award. Um, my player to watch is uh, a guy you mentioned, you know, we're going to have a full season of him. Uh, O'Neill Cruz. Yep. Yeah. He's, if you uh, didn't say it. I was going to be like, and also, yeah. 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 O'Neill Cruz, um, you know, top, top prospect, uh, you know, playing the shortstop position six foot seven. I actually, we mentioned him on our, uh, talking about we, we we mentioned him like uh about his two games in the regular season last year mm-hmm. and we figured out he's like one of the tallest shortstops ever or like the tallest shorts the tallest player to play at least 50 percent of his games at shortstop <laughs> um 
so that was fun uh also so yeah and the 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 most interesting thing about O'Neill Cruz from last year in his first career game he hit the Pirates hardest hit ball in the stat cast era he did that in his first career game uh hardest hit ball by a pirate in the stat cast era um overall uh, also you know baseball prospectus number 12 prospect in baseball before this uh, upcoming season and in according to baseball america he's the number 14 prospect in baseball uh, in 62 games in double a he had 12 home runs and 18 stolen bases but uh, I mean, looking at how hard he was able to hit the ball, he hit the ball 118.2 miles per hour in uh, his first career game with the Pirates, which was the hardest hit ball uh, in that franchise's history in the StatCast era. I know, you know, that's it's only seven years, but still, it's unreal, uh, you know, how, how hard he's able to hit the ball. Um, and also, 18 stolen bases in 62 games in the minors. He has some speed as well. So uh, he's an ex- another exciting player on the Pirates alongside uh, Brian Reynolds and uh, Key Brian Hayes. So you, what is your question regarding the Pirates? Um, it's funny. You, well, first of all, I mean, O'Neill Cruz is a freak of nature. He is absolutely ridiculous. Just a note on him. Uh, he is, I, as far back as I looked, uh, he is the only prospect I've ever seen that has an 80-grade power tool and an 80 grade arm <laughs> yeah like yeah. if you watch him throw the ball from shortstop it's ridiculous um yeah if you hit it to sh- if you hit it to him this year you're probably going to get out it doesn't matter if you're trey turner or yadier molina um fan has him hitting eighth that changes by mid-april <laughs> yeah yeah and I, first of all i think it changes on opening day i don't think he's hitting eighth yeah, on yeah. April 7th or whatever their first game is. This in um, this lineup? No. So with that being said, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the uh the hardest hit ball in exit velocity. Uh by the end of the year, how many of the top ten hardest hit balls by the pirates in the statcast era will be O'Neill Cruz? Top ten in the statcast era? Yeah. Like he already has number one. How many of the top ten will he have by the end of the year? Um Okay, well, I when I was thinking of like who's his competition, I was thinking Josh Bell. Yeah, mostly it. I mean, how many of the top ten in Pirates history? I'm gonna say uh, five. Okay, five I don't know if that's hardest hit balls. I don't know if that's. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Probably. I'm gonna look it up. I actually did not take the liberty to look this up. Um, I should have. I think the hardest hit ball Bell hit might have been 115. Right. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay, I got it. Um, all right, the top ten all time: uh, O'Neill Cruz, Josh Bell, Gregory Polanco, Gregory Polanco, Josh Bell, Pedro Alvarez, Pedro Alvarez, Josh Bell, Pedro Alvarez, Josh Bell. What was the second hardest hit ball? One hundred sixteen point two. Okay. In yeah. May of twenty nineteen by Josh Bell, which makes was, a lot of what sense. Was, what was tenth? Uh, one hundred fourteen point six by Josh Bell in yeah, St. Louis you know in twenty nineteen. I'm, I'm confident in my answer of five. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think we'll get five. If you ask me, I would say eight. <laughs> I think he. I. I'm not even kidding. Um. Okay. So that's that. Um. um yeah. O'Neill Cruz is awesome. 
Okay, uh, my Pirates question will, we kind of saw this guy have two different seasons, each in kind of shortened form. Will Key Brian Hayes have over under a 289.5 batting average? 289.5. I'm going to say under, but that's just because batting average. Like, I still think he produces at least like an 850 OPS. Right. Uh, but I'd, I could see him hitting like 275. Yeah, yeah. I know he hit like yeah. 376 in his shortened 2020 year. It's also and then he hit 257 last year. Yeah. Um. All right. So now we move on to the Cubs. Cubs uh, went 71 and 91 and finished fourth in the NL Central. Um, that was even worse when you isolate it to after the trade deadline. Uh, they lost Zach Davies. They added... How are they ever going to survive without Zach Davies? They they added Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, Andrelton Simmons, and Harold Ramirez. Um, so did they you mention Clint Frazier there? What? Did you mention Clint Frazier there? Uh, no, I forgot to. They got him. They also got Seiya Suzuki. And oh yeah, they okay. So so Seiya Suzuki did sign. Okay. He was projected a holy lord. He was projected a three eighty six OBP and a five twenty eight slugging. Oh, nice. All wow. right, so... They have him. They have him having an MVP caliber season. A 386 OBP is ridiculous. And that's with a 286 average, so, like, they have him walking a lot. Uh, that would be a 914 OPS that they have projected for Seiya Suzuki. All right, so the Cubs have made some quality additions with Suzuki, Stroman, Miley. Um, yeah. All right, and uh, so my player to watch is uh someone who has not seen the major league diamond yet i'm going with the theme that i had for the uh royals and the pirates uh going with a more prospect oriented guy uh brennan davis yeah yeah i don't really have i don't really have much on the guy to be honest i just know he's he's awesome. number, number 15 mlb prospect Number 15, MLB.com prospect. Uh, 869 OPS in the minors last year. Probably going to be manning the outfield, given, like, the Cubs' lack of depth this year. Uh, yeah, he's probably going to get some playing time. We're probably going to see more of him. We probably haven't seen, like, 869 OPS in the minors. He'll probably do better than that in the MLB at some point, um, given, like, his status uh, in the prospect world. So, um, Brendan Davis is a guy you're going to probably watch developing um, for the Cubs uh, over the years, and it'll pro- yeah. it's going to start this year. His estimated time of arrival is 2022. Who do you got? Um, for what it's worth, Fangraphs has him with 14 plate appearances this year. Okay. So who knows what that really means? That might be a loose interpretation. Yeah. Uh, my player is one of those additions. I have Harold Ramirez. Uh, um, I think he goes pretty under the radar. Um, 85th percentile expect, uh, 85th percentile exit velocity, 94th percentile max exit velocity, 81st percentile hard hit rate, 73rd percentile expected batting average, 85th percentile strikeout rate, uh, like 4th percentile walk rate, um, 88th percentile sprint speed. This is a guy who 
hits the ball hard on the ground a lot. Um, hmm. not, not so much a power hitter, but he hits the ball hard. I think if like he's coming to a new team, if the Cubs can work with him on lifting the ball a little bit more, this is a guy that I think can produce a lot for the Cubs. That's kind of it. That's all I have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, if he, if they just work with him, yeah, I think. Uh, it's funny because the Cubs kind of have a theme with just non-power. Like, if you look at their pitching staff, you have Kyle Hendricks, you had Zach Davies in the past, you have Wade Miley, like Marcus Stroman. Like, they they have Alec Mills. Like, they are very much more finesse on the mound. And then if you look at their lineup, like, a lot of guys that can have good batting averages – but yeah, Nick we'll hit Magical, a lot of singles. Horner. Yes. Um, yeah. It is interesting. It's Harold Ramirez is a part of that, but I think he could he could translate that contact into power if if possible. Yeah, yeah. He's already hitting the ball hard. It's just a matter of lifting it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know, but better easier said than done. Um, and yeah, I think we did. You know, with these players to watch, we do try to pick more under the radar guys, but like the guys who are going to perform best for the Cubs are, are probably going to be, you know, Saya Suzuki, uh, yeah, Saya Suzuki, Marcus Stroman, potentially Kyle Hendricks uh, returns to what he was before 2021. Um, yep. And yeah. I mean, we mentioned they lost Zach Davies, but most of most of their big losses came in the middle of last year with, with, you know, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, uh, Anthony Rizzo, mm-hmm. um, Craig Kimbrell, Ryan Tapera. They traded all of those guys uh, right in the middle of right at, right at the trade deadline. Um, and rightfully so they kind of had to do it. Uh, but yeah, not a lot of hope for them this year. My question for the Cubs is: uh, Will Kyle Hendricks have over or under a three nine nine five ERA? Uh, I am going to smash the over. Uh. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, like maybe the fact that the Reds lost Jesse Winker and like some of their power guys like is more fortunate for him. But I mean, I think up and down that division, like I think of. The Brewers have some power hitters. The Cardinals have Tyler O'Neill. Like a lot of just a lot of power in that division specifically, and of course, just the rest of the league. Like I think he's gonna be giving up a lot of home runs because, you know, he did last year. Like I feel like some of that finesse is a little bit not where it was in 2016, 2017. Some of his better years. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm gonna push the over on that one for sure. All right, all right. Uh, my question. Um, I mentioned I mentioned this narrative earlier, and I'm running with it for my question. Rank these players by their 2022 ISO: Nico Horner, Angelton Simmons, Nick Madrigal, Harold Ramirez. So it's yeah, Horner, Ramirez, Horner, Ramirez, Madrigal, and uh, Simmons. And Simmons, that's you're not gonna you're not gonna see a lot of strikeouts. You know, no, the name of the game. Um. Man, uh, so highest ISO to lowest ISO. Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, Harold Ramirez highest ISO. Um, number two will be, huh? That's tough. Number two <laughs> will be Nico Horner. 
number three, Andrelton Simmons, number four, Nick Madrigal. Interesting. All right. It could it it really could be anybody. <laughs> Just thinking off the top of my head, I, I don't know their ISO numbers like from last year, but uh, Horner and Simmons were both like 060. Yeah. Madrigal was like low one hundreds. Mm-hmm. Ramirez is also low one hundreds. Um, right. Yeah, I don't think there's any wrong answers, except I would definitely put Harold Ramirez first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in my humble opinion, as the guy who picked him as my player to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a funny question. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So now on to the Cincinnati Reds. We can talk about some of their losses. Yeah, uh, they got they they got a couple. So they went eighty three and seventy nine and finished third in the NL Central in 2021. However, that they will probably definitely downgrade after losing Nick Castellanos. I mean, they're not going to sign him. I know he's not on a team right now, but they essentially lost him. Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Wade Miley, Sonny Gray, Eugenio Suarez, Tucker Barnhart, and uh, on a more minor scale, Michael Lorenzen. Um, they added Justin Dunn. That's about it. Uh, on, on the major on the major league level, uh, that's basically what they added. Um, I guess we should talk. We should dive a little more into the Jesse Winker, um, the Jesse Winker deal. I, we already talked yeah. about Sonny Gray a little bit because of uh, the Twins, and I don't know the Reds didn't get necessarily much from that outside of what Mitch Garver. Yeah, that's about it. And it's not like he's going to be contributing to like a powerhouse offense as it is given uh, their losses because yeah, they did trade Jesse Winker um, to the Mariners. Uh, you know, a guy who had what a nine 39 or nine 49 OPS. Something like that. Nine eighty OPS at home, nine 22 on the road. I know that nine 22 on the road. Like, yeah, that's huge. That's big. Like, I was worried about that for the Mariners. I was like, oh, are they only getting a are they getting a Cincinnati product? No, they're not. Yeah, 949 OPS overall last year in 485 plate appearances. Um yeah, 305 average, 394 on base percentage, 555 or 556 slugging, 140 OPS plus. Um, just a great bat. Um, probably gonna be in the DH role for the Mariners. Um, you know, from a Mariners perspective, it's, it's just like, uh, yeah, the Mariners are just making themselves seem like the biggest, uh, the biggest worry for me about the Mariners this year was their offense. And this erases so many of those problems. Yeah. Yeah. Now and that's I'm, two uh, power bats like Eugenio Suarez, even if he might not be his 2019 self, he'll probably still hit like 25 to 30 home runs. The Mariners yeah. don't have a single player in their Opening day lineup that is homegrown. Wow. Oh, the Mariners? Nope. Not a single one. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, like uh yeah, you you kinda have to like their uh outfield situation as well with you know Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, uh Taylor Trammell, you know, Mitch, Mitch Hanniger, and now uh Jesse Winker. Julio, you know. yeah, do you mention J Rod? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, did mention Julio Rodriguez. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, like 
you have to love it for the Mariners. And yeah, the Reds, meanwhile, are just, you know, they're done. Done with. What a what a sad, like, this is a team that could have made the playoffs this year. An expanded playoff field. They finished over 500 last year. They did lose their best power bat. But, like, they were a couple pieces away, 100%. Yeah, for sure. It's especially, really, it's really sad. especially in this division, like, mm-hmm. you can't rely on the Brewers necessarily winning 95 games again. Like, they had a very good year, but they probably overperformed a little bit. They could have competed for the division, even without Castellanos, with the team that they had. Yeah. And that's still yeah. happening now. Yeah, for sure. They had um, three, stall, three solid starters, um, or actually four solid starters last year, and they I, – I don't know why they let go of Miley. Yeah, they, they like, didn't pick up his option, right? Or didn't they, like, wait put him on waivers like or something. Yeah, crazy. Um. Going over the return in the Winker deal, um, Justin Dunn, if he cuts down on his walks, could be someone that's worth looking at. And then I think the guy's name is Brandon Williamson. Sure. Very young. He won't be in the majors this year, uh, but he's worth taking a look at. Right. Um, yeah, was in the Seattle franchise last year. Uh, between a 98 innings pitched, had 14 strikeouts per nine and three walks per nine uh and he's 24 years old this year probably being like single a double a um i mean he's definitely worth a look he's reasonably exciting um yeah that's about that yeah right right yeah justin dunn as you mentioned yeah it's a yeah has a bit of a walk problem i think his fastball is like particularly good like uh, at least in terms of yeah. velocity, unless I'm thinking of another guy, Justin Dunn, on Savant. I'm looking here. Um, so I mean, there's potential there. I mean, he's already 26, so he's not he's not necessarily young. Or yeah, maybe maybe I was thinking of the wrong guy. Uh, his fastball averages 93.7. Yeah, I don't know. The Reds are just, uh, I guess, yeah, just selling. Yeah, it's, it's after not really having good. much of a buy period, and Joey Votto's just stuck there. <laughs> that poor guy. Poor guy. After, you know, having one of his having a bit of a resurgence at age thirty-seven. Um, just uh, yeah, weird. Um. Yeah. Well, anyway, really do we want to get into our players to yeah. watch? Is it my turn this time? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I am picking the same guy that I did last year for different reasons. Uh, this is not as much uh, a reason to watch the Reds, but it's, well, I guess it is, but it's a reason for uh, other GMs to take a look. Tyler Male last yeah. year, a 563 ERA at home, a 230 ERA on the road. Wow. Yeah. The only pitcher to have a lower road ERA in the majors was Corbin Burns. He was <laughs> he had the second lowest ERA in the majors on the road, in wow. the in, in major leagues. Yes, uh, Male's twenty twenty one was one of just eleven seasons since nineteen oh four, with a hundred innings pitched and a sixty six or lower TOPS plus on the road. Wow. Uh, that means no, only eleven other seasons, only ten other seasons were just as lopsided on the on the road with ERA, or I guess OPS plus against, uh, 
minimum 100 innings pitched. So if you are another GM, this is an elite pitcher that is in Cincinnati <laughs> and suffering from being in Cincinnati. Um, yeah, yeah, especially last year. Last year just seemed like, obviously yes. they didn't move ballpark dimensions, but it just seemed to kill pitchers yeah. and help batters a lot. Like, with what they've already done, I don't see any reason why they should keep this guy. Get him, yeah. get him somewhere else. You can probably use that to your advantage in getting a return. If you're a GM, this is a guy that can legitimately be an ace for you. Right, right. Like, I'm trying to look for his age. Or, or not his age, but how much control he has left. Uh, yeah, he had, he's only got, yeah, he's only got two more years of control left. Um, so, yeah, like, it's not like you're, hold it's not like there's much reason to hold on to him exactly uh, to be quite frank yeah um so yeah like yeah gm should look out for that um i know it would be cool yeah if the red sox nabbed him um yeah, yeah it'd be very cool to be honest cool. i mean with the with the return that they got for winker and suarez it shouldn't take that much yeah yeah uh all right so my player to watch is uh, a younger guy, you know, maybe the future of the Reds bullpen. Can't really tell though. Uh, Tony Santian, or Sant- Santian, <laughs> uh, had a two nine one ERA and eleven point six strikeouts per nine and forty three and a third innings pitched. Uh, with runners in scoring position, he had an O ninety five average against and a thirty five percent strikeout rate. I will acknowledge the average against, you know, some of that was some some babippery. Uh, he, he got a little lucky with runners in scoring position, but nonetheless, a 35% strikeout rate with runners in scoring position. He definitely amped it up uh, when, um, when, when, when the time was uh, necessary for him to amp it up. Yep. And uh, yeah, like I mentioned, 24 could be, you know, a good piece in the, Reds bullpen for the future, maybe a potential closer down the road. Um, just you know, look out for him this year, Tony. Yeah, they also the Reds have him as a long. Uh, the Fangraphs have has him as a long reliever, so maybe you can get some innings starting as well. Yeah, yeah could go either way. Tony Santion. Santion. Yes. Tony Santion. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, eleven point six strikeouts per nine. Not bad. What a pick. Yeah, I don't know. um your question do you have anything more to say my question who is a more productive year tyler stevenson or nick senzel um tyler stevenson or nick senzel uh steven is stevenson a catcher yes okay um they have him hitting cleanup right now i believe hmm yep they do i could see like I'm just I'm not going based off of any facts, but I feel like this will be that that season where like uh everyone else, yeah, there's like everyone else just kind of sucks, but there's one kind of shining guy, and maybe Nick Senzel will be that guy. Okay. I don't because yeah. There's no one, in, no one else in that offense that's really going to stand out. Yeah, I'll just say Nick Senzel. Um, finally, 
finally get some production. He's what, 25 now? 24. 26. 26. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, he could maybe take a step up. He's already got good defense. Um, so yeah, I could see, I could see him making a, a jump offensively. So yeah, I'll just cause you know, he was, he was a top prospect for a while. Was he like a number two overall pick at some point? He was up there. I don't know the exact pick, but he was very much up there. Yeah. So, you know, he was, he was always on the radar. So yeah, he'll make a jump. Um, or he'll, he'll at least do better than Tyler Stevenson. I will predict. Uh, my question, will the Reds have more or less than a 24-and-a-half-point drop in t- in team OPS this season? 20- what was their OPS last year? Uh, I looked it up. It was 759. So I'm going to actually say no to that. Um, I think there will be a substantial drop. I know that they are – rid of the two best power hitters that they had maybe two of the best three if you want to say vada was better than one of them yeah um, but I, th- I still think jonathan india could take a step up this year they'll have mike moustakas for the full season they just got colin moran um like right. i think there are some you know not at the exact level but there are some replacements and i do think maybe there's like a 16 to 20 point drop off yeah 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 i think that's about right 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 um, especially especially since they'll still be in that ballpark right yeah yeah um all right so on to the cardinals who went yeah. 90 and 72 last year and finished second in the nl central and got the second national league wild card spot and uh Is this the lost- first team we're going over that underwent a managerial change um I don't think anyone did in the AL Central, and no one did in the NL Central. Yeah, no. My knowledge, let's see. Twins, no. Orioles, no. Yeah, they've you know. got a... What? Oh. Ollie Marmel. Ollie, yeah. Ollie Marmel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, went 1972, finished second in the NL Central, got the second NL wildcard spot, and lost to the Dodgers in the NL wildcard game on a Chris Taylor walk-off home run. Uh, the Cardinals lost uh, Wang Young Kim, John Lester, Jay Happ, uh, Matt Carpenter, Carlos Martinez, and Luis Garcia. A lot of them were like in the negative. The average age of those people was 35 and a half. Yeah. And a lot of them were in the negatives for wins of a replacement. I just, I put Matt Carpenter in the losses because just because of the. Because it's just for sentimental value. Yeah. And, they, uh, and they added Steven Matz. Um, which was yeah. a, a nice pickup for them. Um, and and uh, added, I believe they added Corey Dickerson as well. Oh, okay. So they added Corey Dickerson. They ju- like they just did. Okay. All right. That one went under the radar. I'm only seeing it because I'm on, I'm looking at their projected lineup here. There we go. Um, so my player to watch, um, I don't know. The, my player to watch, it's weird because like uh, – I don't know if he gets underappreciated or overappreciated and I could see him if he got overappreciated me being particularly annoyed about it um if that makes sense but like he's a guy where like the where Cardinals fans definitely love him um I don't know about the rest of the baseball world 
but uh, Tommy Edmund. Oh, okay. Interesting. So he only had, he did only have a 695 OPS last year, but he does have some interesting things about it. So he finished second in the NL in doubles last year with 41 and second in the NL in stolen bases with 30. So even though he wasn't like killing it percentage wise, he was in the top, you know, in some pretty significant counts uh, categories. Along with that, he also led all major league second baseman outs above average. And uh, I believe that resulted in a gold glove for Tommy Edmonds. So, um, you know, maybe he's not above average at the plate, but he gets some good, you know, he's great base runner, great defender, and um, probably a little underrated in, in the, in the baseball world. Um, and someone who should be, uh, should be acknowledged uh, with the Cardinals for sure. Uh, right. Who's your player to watch? My player to watch is, this might be a hot take, but I think this is the best player on this team. And I think he gets very underappreciated, even though everyone knows that he's good. Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. Um, he is one of 13 players in the last 50 years to have a season with 150 OPS plus, 15 stolen bases, and 10 war runs fielding. It essentially just means fielding ward. Uh, in a season before turning 26, hmm. uh, he joins. Listen to this list that he joins. So the 12 other players that did in the last 50 years are Mike Schmidt, Ricky Henderson, Andre Dawson, Mike Greenwell, Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Albert Pujols, David Wright, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Cody Ballinger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to guess how many MVPs that is between the 12 of them? Oh, man. Well, like total in their career? Yeah. Um. I'm I'm too I'm too OCD where I want to <laughs> I want to know like Mike Schmidt had three, Mookie Betts has one, uh, Barry Bonds has seven, so that's eleven. Cody Ballinger has one, that's twelve. Um, I don't think Mike Greenwell had any, uh, and then I don't know. There's some others that are sprinkled in that I'm forgetting the names already. Sixteen, sixteen MVPs. Mike Schmidt had three. Ricky Henderson had one. Okay. Andre Dawson had one. Skipping Mike Greenwell. Barry Bonds had seven. Ken Griffey Jr. had one. Are you keeping track? Because I'm not. Um, oh, well, okay. So Henderson, one. Uh, Dawson, one. That's five. Bonds, that's 12. Griffey, that's 13. A-Rod, that's what? 16. I know the answer. Okay. Okay, A-Rod makes 16, Pujols makes 19, Trout makes 22, Mookie makes 23, Bellinger makes 24. 24 MVPs between those 12. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's where Tyler O'Neill was last season. So long story short, this guy has MVP potential. Uh, you know, I think when a lot of people think of the Cardinals offense, it's Goldschmidt, it's Arnato. Tyler O'Neill is right with them on offense and he's right with there. He's probably above them as a, as a whole, as a player, you know, outfielder, very good defense. He also has speed. He's a five tool player. If we're being completely honest here. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, all right. So I have two questions regarding the card. I have two questions. I wonder if one of them is the same because there's, I, there's a recurring I didn't even question. Write mine. I didn't even write the first one as a, 
as I didn't write out the full question, I just put mandatory annual question. <laughs> yes. Um, so will Paul Goldschmidt have over or under an 879.5 OPS <laughs> in 2022? Uh, whoa, what was his OPS last year? Oh, 879. Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what about the year um, before that? Well, do I think they're going to win the division this year? <laughs> I actually have not made a decision on that. So I think I might have to come back to you on that one because this answer is the same I as don't... do the Cardinals win the division? Oh, no. I, I only meant for you that it is. 20, I only meant that for 2020 because last year I said under and I thought they were going to win. They're the gonna win it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think it's, I'll give it an, I'll give it an under. Yeah. Um, um, and then what's your other question? And then my other question uh, is related to your player to watch. Tyler O'Neill was seventh in the NL in F4 last season. Another reason to watch him. Uh, will he stay in the top 10 this season? Yes. I, I could even, you could even make the case that he's top five. Right, right. Makes you sense. Know I'll make that. That's a bold prediction. Tyler O'Neill, top five. Position top player five. F4 in the NL, right? Top, top five in position player F4 the in NL. the NL. Yeah, I'll um, take it. All right, on to your questions. Yeah, so uh, I have two questions. You already know the first one. Uh, I'm saying, uh, I'm going to say over. I think he's going to flip-flop. Okay. He was okay. over in 2020, under in 2021. So can we, we should explain the uh, the context here. Um, yeah. Go so, ahead, because it was your thing. So yeah, in, in uh, 2020, in July, we were doing, you know, our 2021 prediction episode. And I, uh, and yeah, I predicted, and, and I was saying like, I was talking, we were talking about, we were previewing the NL Central for um, standings wise. And I was thinking, you know, Paul Goldschmidt has to be an X factor of this Cardinals offense to, for, in order for the Cardinals to win this division in 2020. And I said, and I said, uh, I think he's going to be an X factor for this offense. I think if he has over an 880 OPS uh, in 2020, they're going to win the division. If he's under an 880 OPS for uh, the year, they will not win the division. And uh, lo and behold, in the final at bat, he's like in the final at bat of the season, he's at like 878. The Cardinals are not winning winning the division at this point. They're they were like four games behind the Cubs uh in the 2020 NL Central race. And uh he's at 878 and I'm rooting very hard for him not to reach base. And he hits a, a hard hit long single uh over the right fielder's head off the wall for a single, and he gets over 880, finishes the year with an 883 OPS. The Cardinals do not win the division. I am wrong. And uh, so then last year, you know, for fun, we're like, you know, since it was already kind of a, a meme with us, we, we both asked each other, you know, over under 880 OPS. Um, I think I said under, I think you said over. Uh, and he ended up right at 879. Uh, and he, we have, we as a show have set the over under for his OPS, maybe eternally. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know when he'll drop off, but it hasn't been in the past two years. He's been right at that mark. Um, 
for the past two years. And um, I mean, it's a quality mark for sure, but uh, it's uh, it's forever an AR lure that uh, yes, that we just we've just set his over under for OPS <laughs> in 2020 and 2021. And we ask it and we ask it annually. Um, and then uh, what's your other question? Uh, my other question, uh, Dylan Carlson, guy we haven't mentioned, top prospect coming up. He had a 117 OPS plus last year, and he had like a low sevens or like a high sevens OPS. Um, yeah. So over under 130 OPS plus for Dylan Carlson this year. Um, this year, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say under because I was looking at him. I was looking at his stats uh, for this episode. He had, it was like 117 last year, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I just said. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, you said that. Um, yeah, I'll say under. I think it'll be around the same as it was last year. Okay. So you just don't want to say under. Dylan Carlson, um, young buck. I think he's heading into his age 24 season or something like that. Um, all right. Last team of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. They went 95 and 67 last year and won the National League Central before losing to the Braves in the National League Division Series in four games. They lost uh, Avasil Garcia, Eduardo Escobar, Hunter Strickland, and then, you know, some of these are minor. Uh, Brett Anderson, Manny Pena, John Curtis, Daniel Vogelbach, and, Jack- and uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. But they added uh, Hunter Renfro and uh, on a more minor scale, Rex Brothers. Um, so Rex Brothers, who do you have? Uh, who are you looking at in 2022? Uh, while I'm saying, I need you to look at the tweet I'd send you. Um, but I'm looking at Aaron Ashby. Um, I need to check is there any relation to Andy? There has to be, right? Maybe I've definitely looked before. Nephew of Andy Ashby, okay, cool. Uh, Aaron, anyway, Aaron Ashby, uh, I think he was the top prospect in the Brewers system last year. Uh, and of the 1,785 pitches that produced at least 25 batted balls, Ashby's slider had the 16th lowest batting average against at 077 and the fifth lowest expected batting average against at 079. That slider does things. Uh, he got rocked in his first and last appearances of the year, and in between, he pitched 30 innings and had a 178 ERA. Uh, this is a guy that can be another solid bullpen piece. Uh, and if they want to try him as a starter and see if he can be a fourth ace, they could try that. I, you know, it's all up to how he performs. But either way, I think this is going to be a guy that produces really well for them this year, whether that be as a as a starter or as a reliever. Also worth noting that he has a his launch angle last year was a flat zero, like not even a 0.1. It was literally just a 0.0. Um, so he's a ground ball pitcher. Um, the Brewers don't have the greatest infield defense, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you want out of a guy. And that's what Aaron Ashby has been. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a guy, like, outside of two very bad appearances to end the year, of an ERA below two. Also, did uh, you mention that they added Andrew McCutcheon? Um, oh, no, because um, yeah. I think I, I put that in the notes on Wednesday night. Yeah. So yeah, if added you just, in, if you just yeah, yeah, added Andrew McCutcheon as well. 
along yep. with Hunter Renfro and Rook's brothers. Um, yeah. yeah, forgot to mention that, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, he's what 35 now, uh, 36, 35, yeah, um, yeah, he's uh, he'll be, yeah, he'll be interesting to see. Had an interesting year last year, 778 OPS, but uh, was able to play out the full year, 144 games, uh, 27 homers, 24 doubles, and uh, I think I think he still provides, or actually no, I was about to say provides quality defense. His D wars negative was negative no. 1.3 last. No, he does not. Yeah, not anymore. Um, he could for, be a DH. I think yeah, Fangraphs has him listed as a DH. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. Um for defensive help, you know, Hunter Renfro will be that guy. Although they did just lose they did lose Jackie Bradley Jr., which man, I'm bloom. You know, what, what are not we doing? Saying, not saying it's a pattern of bad behavior, but that was just a weird one. It's weird because we thought it would there would be a corresponding move to fill Hunter Renfro's spot, and there has not been one. Yeah, they literally – yeah, the Red Sox literally got a more expensive, <laughs> worse outfielder. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't do anything. Man, uh, not great. Anyway, uh, my player to watch is uh, a guy who um, – I pointed out as a how about that. He was actually my final how about that of the year, I believe. Um, Adrian Hauser, uh, out of 105 pitchers with 50-plus innings pitched from July 23rd on, he had the fourth best ERA out of those 105 pitchers. In the span, out of 149 pitchers with 100-plus batted balls against them, uh, Hauser had the lowest average exit velocity and the lowest hard hit rate against him. So he's the best at preventing hard contact uh, out of 149 pitchers from July 23rd on. Um, he's uh, you know not a strikeout guy by any means, but he prevents hard contact and is uh, you know a quality potential four or five starter in that Brewers rotation. So you know it does it doesn't just stop with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. You know there's some good good guys behind them uh all right so now um what is your brewer's question which is more likely a christian yelich resurgence or hunter renfro leading the team in homers good question um i have to think of hunter renfro's competition and you know yelich is one of those guys um hunter renfro by the way was essentially like a replacement for Avisil Garcia, who it's not as good defensively, but better offensively, I'd say. Um, Garcia. Yes. Yeah, yeah, G- yeah. Garcia is better, better at defense. Maybe not as good at offense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Renfro's a great lost... arm, but he, but his fielding isn't great. They lost Garcia to the Marlins. Marlins. Yeah, I'm trying to think of his competition because there's, um. There's Yelich. I'm trying. I'm hoping I'm not like forgetting people, but but yeah, I feel like a lot of their home run guys are not what they once were. Yeah, I think uh, 
and what was what was the other possibility? Uh, uh, Christian Yelich resurgence. Yeah. Um, I think it's more likely that Renfro is going to lead the team in home runs. Okay. Um, personally, uh, all right. A lot of it probably because their lineup is not as power heavy as it once was. I think. Yeah. Um, and Renfro had a had over 30 home runs last year. The only the only like real competition I can think of is if he plays a whole season, Rowdy Telez. True. Um, yeah. You know what? Fangraphs has him hitting 33 and no one else hitting more than 26. So Renfro? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean he hit he but hit I also think a Yelich resurgence is like to be expected. True, true. Um, although we did expect it uh after 2020. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll he still see got his it. walks in at least. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, so my question um includes one of my players to watch or includes my player to watch so adrian hauser had a 3-2-2 era last year eric lauer had a 3-1-9 who will have the lower era in that back of the rotation adrian how adrian hauser or eric lauer that is an excellent question um well lauer is hmm. the funny thing about lauer is like he does not like with if you just looked at his like archetype, he does not look like a twenty-six year old at all. Um right. he looks like he should be in the Cardinals rotation. Yeah. He's like, I know he's like low of a lot, like he's not high strikeouts. I mean he is kind of high strikeouts. Uh he's like just less than one per inning. Um and he doesn't walk anyone. I'm gonna say Lauer. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say Lauer because they have like similar strikeout rates. Actually, no. Eric Lauer is better at strikeouts per nine and walks per nine. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think he just has a longevity to go further in, in the games. Um, he's younger. He's younger. Yeah, I'm going to go with Eric Lauer for that one for sure. Uh, there we go. And that will wrap it up for this long Yep. three-hour episode, probably the longest episode we've ever done. I would imagine. Even longer than a history series episode, probably, any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there was a lot that happened, and we had a lot to preview for sure. Um, so, and yeah, we hadn't we haven't really sat down and talked to just each other in it since like the Hall of Fame episode. Yeah, <laughs> about two months ago. Yep we 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 had ourselves a lockout. Yeah, even though we were on like agreeing terms on literally everything. Um, yeah. 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 True. True. Well, it was like you know. We've, we've been pretty we've been busy with our own stuff and yeah we're not inspired to talk about baseball mm-hmm. but now we are so uh i'm excited i'm excited to be back into it yes gonna absolutely. be doing it every, at least once a week for sure i briefly saw juan soto at a uh, nats camp yep for like yeah, a second so uh, i saw josh bell I actually uh, said hi to him Right, did right. Not, did not um, get the chance to tell him to not hit ground balls anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, um, that's tough. That's coming. Saw who else? I saw D. Gordon. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, D. Gordon he's, is he's a guy. Where Gordon. Like... I was like, like I saw him. I was like, oh, that's right. He signed with the Nationals. <laughs> yeah. Minor league deal. Yeah. Um. Oh, you're getting a call. Yeah. 
Mr. Yato, a very important person. My connections. I don't want to decline it because that seems rude, so I'm just going to let it rain. Okay. Uh, okay, it's over. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, I saw Dave Mar- David Martinez, Gerardo Parra, Andrew Stevenson. That was about it. But I saw Juan Soto, so that was really all I needed to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you saw maybe maybe any any tanner rainy sighting tanner rating tanner rainy tanner rainy sightings i do not believe so i think i named everyone that i saw what a bummer um Aaron bummer. who's my who's my who's my 2021 player to watch i know complete flop he was um, good for like the last month of the season but the other five were like nah right right um all right so uh that'll do it <laughs> that'll do it for this episode i did not expect it to go this long but i, I mean either. it was good i mean it was I, i'd say it was pretty good all the way through it was quality um, for sure we got uh we got everything we wanted out and uh made up for our lost time during the off season but finally finally we we're able to get it out so um yeah we hope you enjoyed this one if you uh, want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. And uh, yeah, also, uh, you know, this one is on the YouTube channel. Uh, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. We also have some clips. We actually had a clip uh, kind of hit the algorithm. Um, yeah, we did. And- part of our yeah chris rose interview it almost has a thousand views now which is like on the above replacement radio if yeah that's like an arr view plus of uh if you if we put it into uh like ops plus terms that's like a million so (laughs) yeah that's like fred dunlap couldn't even imagine yeah yeah (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's like a million OPS plus for our uh, for our YouTube channel. So yeah, almost a thousand views. That's that was pretty cool to watch. It just hit the algorithm at a random point. That was that video was posted five months ago, um, but good good to see it gain traction. Um, it makes so, yeah. sense after the Ken Rosenthal firing. Yeah, yeah, p- yeah, probably. Because uh, it kind of goes into what we said. Yeah, a little bit of a correlation there. Um, so yeah, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to that. We also have playlists for our baseball history series and um, Hall of Fame bubble cases if you're interested in that at this point of the year. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next week where we will be previewing the AL East, or no, AL West. West. AL West and NL, and NL West. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. We hope to see you then. All right. And pause. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.